and welcome to the, I think it's the eighth edition of the Last Meet and Pod Talks. Um, delighted to have three of the international leaders in open source um, architecture, software and design. And as ever, I claim this is an amateurish exercise, but actually the quality of the participants joining in increasingly makes it makes me feel embarrassed about saying that because um, the podcast is amateurish, but hopefully the content isn't. Um, what we'll do today is talk um, about the issues around uh, open source design software and more broadly what it means for architecture, engineering, design and construction, uh, culture and technology. And um, we'll, we'll sort of bounce the, the conversation around those themes. Probably best, right, if we all just kind of introduce ourselves um, first, and let's do it this way. So we'll go um, Dion, Yorick, and then Bruno, and then we'll jump in and, and, and see what see what's what. Yeah. Um, yeah good morning. Um, so I'm Dion Molt, and uh, I was trained as an architect and currently working at Lendlease in Australia. And I have contributed to a lot of open source over the past many, many years. And currently I'm working with the IFC Open Shell project um, and within the OSArch community on building more uh, BIM extensions to Blender. Very cool. Yorick, hi. Uh, hi, Dave. Uh, good evening or good morning. <clears throat> um, I'm Yorick. Uh, I'm an architect by, by formation, by trade. And I'm also one of the core developers of FreeCAD, uh, which is an open source, not only Bing, but more generally um, solid-based CAD modeling platform. <clears throat> and uh, I've been on that project for a little bit more than 10 years, 12 years, I think. Um, and um, yeah, I've contributed to a couple of other free software uh, in the area of CAD and BIM. And um, basically, that's what I use mostly today. Um, FreeCAD has become like, a, it's progressively be becoming a kind of relevant BIM platform. Uh, open source being platform, and um, that's also what I use more and more um, as my main design tool. And um, I guess that's it. Very cool. Thank you, Bruno. Hi. Uh, good evening. Um, my name is Bruno Postal. Um, I'm also trained as an architect. Um, I've had a varied, varied um, career over the years doing doing software development, some design work. Um, I currently work for a company called Dialis in London. Um, I've been a contributor to a number of open source projects over the years. Um, my, my current project is um, Homemaker, which is a tool for um, designing buildings. But as, as such, I'm a, I'm a consumer of, of the platforms that, that um, Dion and Yorick are creating. So, um, so, um, so I'm not a creator of CAD software, but I'm a consumer. Very cool. Uh, my name is John Manicherry. I'm an uh, architect and environmental scientist, and um, <clears throat> I guess you'd say technologist, and uh, in descending order of competence, I guess. 
Um, and the company I started is called Base2, and we have a product called Last Meter, which helps real estate operators connect lifestyle services into the operations and space, space of the buildings for sustainability and efficiency and quality of living purposes. And we have a design tool called Space Engine, which helps design buildings around incoming uh, user services. And our thesis, which is what this podcast kind of started with, is that designing buildings for experiences, which is part of what we're doing, um, or rather we are part of that, or what we're doing is part of that, is one of the biggest drivers, I think, in the, cha- in the I- incoming change in urban and architectural form in the next 20 years. And that leads to all sorts of issues around design form, design technology, design software, um, housing and office and living and working typologies, uh, urban space and more. And so given that we, you know, what we're doing touches on so many things and also kind of just a fucking nosy guy, I started a podcast to kind of have these broader conversations. Um, and it turns out that it's pretty interesting and lots and lots of people joining in and it's growing and that's fantastic. I think it speaks to the fact that what we're focused on overlaps with what a lot of other people are focused on in terms of reimagining technically, creatively, ethically, if you like, if you include sustainability and social inclusion under ethics, politically, uh, spatially, how the built environment from housing to cities um, should be developed. And and so that's really the the space we're all in. Um, In a way, this podcast was inevitable, but it requires that you guys um, are behind it uh, because I think that... um, uh, everybody in, in most walks of life, I think, is is in some way aware that open source software is happening, is there. Um, and I think people, you know, whether or not they know the details would uh, assume that something's happening in the architecture, engineering, construction space. So in that sense, it's inevitable. But it's it's hard to un- unpick, unpack until we have the super experts involved, which is you. So... I'm delighted that you're involved. Um, let's let's start just to kind of get everybody on the same page um, who might possibly be listening this to this uh, with a quick sort of round the house on open source software in general. Um, what is it? Why is it in particular? And how far has it come? Right. Um, maybe start with you, Brenda. I mean, what is it for you? What does it mean for society? How far does it come? I mean, explicitly not AEC design stuff, like open source software in general. What's your take on that? Um, so, yeah, I started using open source software in, in the mid-90s when during the internet boom, and, um, and uh, I basically needed to learn a programming language to do, do some web, web design. So, um, and, and obviously the open source free software, um, it really appeals um, for, the, for the reason for me, it's ownership of the means of production. Um, and so, so I very quickly, uh, you know, adopted a, the Linux desktop f- for my personal computers, and I've been using it ever since. And and it's gotten easier and easier to use, and easier to maintain. Um, so I, I, uh, it's it's got to the point where where if you want to use standard Office software or emailing or web browsing, the the, uh, the Linux desktop's absolutely fine for everything. Um, where it hasn't been. Um, is is CAD as technology has been a long way behind other software? Okay, we'll get on. We'll get on to that. Uh, Yorick, what, what's your what's your micro summary of the state of open source in general? Um, I guess it's 
always hard to say uh, because it's like a question you see on the internet all the time. Uh, are we there yet? Uh, is this the year of the, the Linux desktop yet? Uh, Etc. And so it's really, really hard. And we have, for example, with FreeCAD, we see the same question all the time. Uh, are we there yet? Um, is it is our software good enough yet uh, or not? Or, and it's really hard to assess. Um, suddenly you look at it and you say, yes, where are it? We already have something that's um, feature equal to, to commercial stuff. And um, and then you think, why is everybody using free software then? And, and in, you have several barriers there and it's, it's really, really hard to say. Um, I think, yes, uh, in, in our field, in, in the field of CAD and, and BIM and design, um, there is really something happening, let's say, last year or something. Um, I think a kind of convergence between many projects and, and things like that. Um, in the general way, um, I don't know, actually, because... Um, Yes, we all use open source everywhere, uh, so it's there, it's done. Uh, on Android phones, any project, even if you look, take an Autodesk product, you go to the Autodesk web website and you look at the license. Right. Uh, you see they use a lot of open exactly. source stuff in, in their in their products. Exactly. So what's your take on? It? Yeah, I mean, what's your what's your sense of it, uh, Dion? Sorry to interrupt you. I'm just going to grab uh, Dion and then we'll we'll sure. push the pieces together a bit more. Yeah, I think um, York summed it up and, and Bruno summed it up quite nicely. I think I might do the uh, obligatory uh, mention of the four freedoms because these four freedoms are very important to what we, we talk about when we say open source, uh, especially a term that's, that's new to the AEC industry because the original term uh, was actually called free software, but that confuses a lot of people because they think we're talking about price. But really, um, open source or free software is about the freedom of you as a, as, a, as a user of the software that allows you to run software for whatever you want to run it for, that allows you to study and learn from uh, the software, and that allows you to, to change it, improve it, and, and share it and, and collaborate uh, with other people. Uh, and I guess within our industry. Free as in free speech as opposed to free as in free beer in the classic distinction. Correct, correct. And um, I, I think that's that's the first distinction there. And free software is absolutely fundamental to how the world runs, whether you, you know it or not. Um, technology in, in, in the technology industry, it's pretty hard to build something without free like uh, of a significant scale without free software almost every every technology you've come across uh uses free software to some aspect and so definitely in the tech industry free software is not just there it is the way of life um, mm. it's the way things happen it, it couldn't operate without it the world could not run the world's tech could not mm. run without it yeah. but then you go to specific industries and, and specific uh, use cases like um, people who just go to the to the shop and buy the laptop, which comes off the shelf, and they don't use a lot of free software. And that's not because it's not ready for them. 
but it's because they're not ready for it or just don't care enough. They take the, 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 yeah. the thing which is just most easily sold to them. The majority of people who are just uh, checking their emails, browsing the web, you know, free software has, has covered that a long time ago. So it, it is there for you. You need to be, uh, but free software doesn't, doesn't push itself at you. You know, you have to kind of discover it yourself and it's, it's a, re it's a very rewarding experience. And then I guess, as York said, there are other industries like ours in AEC that, well, let's just say are, it's very behind the times, but things are changing, especially in the last year. And I think, I think for people, for people who aren't necessarily fully up to speed on, 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 on open source or free software, it's useful to remind them <clears throat> kind of, as you guys are, are doing that, um, if you ask a question, you know, has uh, free software arrived from the desktop? The correct answer to that question is the desktop hasn't arrived from desktop. What arrived instead was mobile, right? Mobile arrived and took over the desktop conversation and mobile is driven by Android, right? There's three times as many at least Android devices as there are um, iOS devices or any other operating system. And Android is basically driven by Linux. And Linux is the essence or one of the kind of high points of free software. And so, you know, what arrived on the desktop is mobile and mobile is predominantly driven by Free software, and so that is that. You know, for me, when I worked that out, it was you know it was a pretty useful answer. I think in terms of user software, exactly as you say, Dion, um, a lot of the browsers people use are free. We're all speaking to each other on free browsers in principle. It's not fully open source, but they're they're, they're free. Um, and uh, a lot of what happens, even in the AEC space, is that you know as, as you say, uh, Yorick, that private software is built using software elements and repositories that are inherently free maintained by random people for free around the world um, and so there's a lot of progress i think that the um the front end uh, if, if of software I mean, the things that people choose on a daily basis i think exactly as you say dion it's um it's uh it, it's they're not coming to it because maybe they're not ready for it and we'll we'll get into that um but uh there, there was a question i wanted to just to quickly ask all of you because ian keo um, throw it into the mix. Why are you doing this? I mean, in Bruno's case, I get the sense that for you it's a politically important issue, right? That you want to, you, you yourself and you want others to own the means of production. Um, Yurik and, and, and Dion, what's your reason for, maybe you don't have one, <laughs> I'm not saying you need to have one, but is there a reason for why you got into, into open source and free software? Uh, let me begin then. Um, yeah, my reason at the base was a very common one. <clears throat> Basically, I was living in Brazil at the time, uh, and I was starting my own architectural office. <clears throat> and it was a two-person office. And uh, basically, the price uh, of a software license like AutoCAD was something not adapted to um, Brazilian market. It was like unreasonable. Um, it was like hiring two other people just to have the price, uh, just to pay for the software. It was like impossible. And um, so that's, I was already looking at free software and that made me um, step into it, um, begin to code. Right. And I found FreeCAD and I found a platform that I thought I could help with. And I started like, started like that. And I think that's a pretty common story. Uh, yeah, so I started in contributing to free software a lot before I started on 
the, the Blender BIM add-on project. And partially it's because I wanted to understand how things worked. And that's the one thing which free software really lets you do. It, it doesn't hide the details. And so if you want to get really good at a particular piece of technology, you, you hit a wall when you're using proprietary software because it shields so much from you. But if you're using uh, free software, you can really dig into the details and, and really become a power user that proprietary users uh, just don't manage to do. So that was firstly a utilitarian uh, thing. But the, the biggest, most important thing about free software that appeals is the community. Um, free software is, is, is not so much about the, the benefits, the, the technical benefits of free software in so much that it's, it's about the social benefits. Um, it, it, people agree that free software in general uh, uh, has upholds higher standards of codes due to the public visibility, has generally more eyes looking and fixing bugs, better security. Uh, there's all these technical benefits of, of doing open source and free software. Uh, but I think what I want to emphasize and what really means a lot to me is the community. The people behind mm -hmm. free software that you discover are people who are incredibly passionate. They're, they're doing this not because they're paid to sit at a desk and write code, they're doing this because they love it. And when I write code, it's because I love it. I enjoy it. I, I like sh sharing what I know and, and, and working with other similarly passionate people to try and, and solve things. And you, you surround yourself with a community of, of really intelligent uh, people who, who, who are all power users due to the, the, the reasons I mentioned before and, and really understand under, under the hood. But not just that, they're also really positive and, and mm. willing to share. And we need more of, of that collaboration, uh, especially in this industry where I think we are struggling to, to work together. And mm. it's, it's more that culture, which I think we need to bring. The, 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 the software comes with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, I guess that, that's what really brought me in, into it. One thing that's interesting about open source software, which, I, which isn't talked about very much, is the extent to which the languages themselves are, um, in fact, open. I'm not quite open source, but they're free, uh, and in and in some in many cases they are actually open source in the sense that they're developed by a community, and that itself is not necessarily um, obvious, um, given that in the history of, of of programming, some of the earliest languages, for example, Fortran, were themselves commercial products. Right, they weren't. They were. They actually produced by by. I think Fortran was an IBM product that was brought to market as a commercial tool. And I don't know the precise nature of the license, but you. But it was part of a commercial position by IBM. And I think that the culture from the ground up is very fascinating because when you start learning to code in essentially any language, there are still some commercial languages, um, and there are languages that are closer to companies and others, such as Swift. It is a very open environment, and I think that that is a very interesting political point. How how much are we naturally open source beings, right? To your point about community, Dion, is it the case that actually we're trending as a society because of the collaborative power of open source to a world where you know the commercial commercial control of goods and services, commercial control of products and tools is um, is in the background because it just doesn't doesn't deliver 
the power and the quality that uh, that open source does and that's itself maybe because of something about our psychology or the way we communicate or the way we build things but i think it's worth having that conversation in the background because i don't think uh what what, what you're what, what you've said as anyone i've asked you what open source is and where it's going and what, what you haven't said it's an is an ideological thing right i mean there's a political dimension to it but the open source um, world itself is is a, in your if I sort of summarize what one of the things that you've been saying, Jan, is it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's, an, it's a release of quality and con and, and quantity, and that is um, I think that's a, that's a good uh, stepping on point to to discuss more about the the AEC um, BIM space. So um, let's see. Okay, so. Let's just play the same game again quickly. What is the state of play in in open source um, BIM and AEC? I mean, most people who, who listen to this podcast have some sense of what that means, but they now know what open source means for sure. BIM is obviously building information modeling software and AEC is architecture, engineering, construction, um, industry space. In, the, in, in Britain, it would be called the built environment or the built sector. Um, let's start with you, Bruno. Where do you think it's at? Right, you're a, you're a user for sure of Blender, possibly also of FreeCAD. Why have you done that? Why you know big, it, to 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 develop your homemaker software and other projects? What has led you to do that? Other than your political stance that it's a, a means of production that is in your hands. Yeah, sure. So obviously, uh, I've become a, like a power user in in tools like AutoCAD, and it's taken years of work and and um. So, so you have this incredible investment in time and effort, and it makes it incredibly hard to change. So, um, so you have a tool like Blender, which is every bit as hard to use or, or as elaborate as AutoCAD, or considerably more so. And, and it's going to take you a long time to learn it. Um, so, so I've been um, doing these things in parallel for many years. Um, so my, my, um, my main work for the last 15 years is designing um, uh, large sculptures. And for that, I needed to... Um, I needed to write my own tools, so so I ended up at the point where, even though I was technically working in AutoCAD, I was actually writing all my own stuff and processing DXF files. Um, and at that point, actually, it made more sense to do it in Blender because um, because there there are better tools for dealing with geometry. Hmm. Um, is that AutoCAD or which which specific product? Yeah, so AutoCAD is is yeah, okay, I've been yeah. using AutoCAD since '97 or something. Yeah. Because when you say AutoCAD, some people some people use the phrase AutoCAD to mean just like the kind of the generational sequence of Autodesk products, and then you know Revit. But you specifically mean AutoCAD, which is primarily yeah. A well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't even count the number of CAD software tools that I've learned over the years. I, I, I was sure. I was doing CAD on a silicon graphics um, workstation in in eighty nine. You know, right. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the tool, but I learned it inside out. <laughs> Um, so uh, and and so, what you're saying is that is that Blender is sufficiently sophisticated to do 3D modeling for your purposes. Yes. That, sure. do, you, do you have any sense of the of the broader uh, maturity of of open source software for architectural design? Because that's specifically to sculpture. Yeah. So 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 what what Blender doesn't have and what Dion is working on and and the same with Yorix working on with FreeCAD is is um, giving us all the tools that we need to actually design buildings. Um, yeah. Because because Blender is great for doing geometry and rendering and, and, and holding the 3D model in, in memory and, and doing things to it, but but it doesn't help you do the job that you need to do as an architect. Right. 
I mean, just to just to kind of give people some context, I know that Dion, you'll you will re, you will completely re-edit what I'm about to say, as you should. But basically, Blender is primarily a tool, or historically, has been primarily a tool for um, a mo uh, object modeling for artistic or um, conceivably product product development purposes uh, in um, in uh, in three D. Uh, it's a three, it's an open source tool for that, and the specific requirements of architecture and design are are not baked in. You have to you have to add them. Um, we'll discuss that more, but that's basically the Blender environment. It's basically been used for for, for modeling rather than for architecture uh, drafting and development. Um, Yorick, where where I mean, you obviously have a have a have a personal view on this, but just more broadly from FreeCAD, where would you say that? What, do you, what would you say is the general state of open source BIM and AEC software? Uh, also a hard question. Um, hard question because um, if you ask more, most people they would tell you like um, mature is when it's like Revit or mature is when it's like Archicad. Uh, everybody would tell you mature is uh, when I can do with free software what I do with my commercial software. But just as Bruno said, uh, you take years of practice to, to get somewhere with the software. <clears throat> it's no different with, with free software. I would say that um, it's there already. Uh, I mean, what you can do, I, I use FreeCAD for my daily work every day, and I do almost everything with it um, you could you can do the same with with blender already um, you can you need to adapt a little bit your your, your workflow but you can totally do complete uh, work with any of them uh, you would suffer a bit uh, with a couple of uh, areas for example generating drawings and and such where you would need a little bit of work around but uh, it's there already. Uh, let's say we need a little bit of more polish and more um, uh, final tools for the user to, to be really something like uh, the dream environment we all want, uh, like what you would call a final package where you just fire up your application and you do all your architecture work in it. Uh, at the moment, you still need a little bit of personal effort to. to um, join pieces together but yeah. it's definitely there and I think all what's all the important parts are there working already uh, being used by more and more architect engineers and all the people who work in the AAC uh, area and um, we probably need a little bit more polish and a little bit more users to, to give feedback and to have all this cycle uh, going um, so, so really, th these last steps can, can be reached. Um, where, where, where do you feel we're at, Dion? I think that depends, <clears throat> sorry, largely on who you ask, because our industry is very, very diverse. I mean, we have uh, all three of us are architects or architecturally trained. Um, but of course there's the engineers there's the cost planners there's the program schedulers there's the people who procure the people who do feasibility designs the people who do risk assessments and safety and then you have the guys who are doing manufacturing and needing to feed the the machines which do the uh, 
um, which, which do the manufacturing. Sorry, clearly I'm, I'm showing my ignorance of <laughs> manufacturing. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a very, very broad field, so it depends who you ask. So there are some things where, which open source is, not, it is already there for the AEC industry and, in fact, far surpasses proprietary applications. So some examples are in OpenBIM. In terms of open BIM support, the free software out there is what you should be using if you really want to learn open BIM. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of environmental simulation, you are probably already using, if you are in that field, an engine which is open source. If you are an academic doing research in BIM or environmental sustainable design, you are already using those engines like Energy Plus, like Radiance, like OpenFoam, and those various variations like um, if you're security uh, simulating explosions, you're using BlastFoam. Um, but then there are little pockets again. If if you're using if you're if you're studying heat transfer, for example, Therm is closed source. So there are little pockets where it's not there yet. So it, it's a really a contextual question depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 2D drafting, you know, on a small scale project, uh, domestic scale, no problem. It's it's more than there. You you the they might take a bit of learning, get used to that. They might not be as polished. Uh, but the tools are there. Uh, on on a larger scale project, maybe it's uh, it, it doesn't scale that well. So there, it really depends who you ask. Mm. I mean, so what you, what you what you're I mean, what you've said is in fact that it is very advanced. It's as it were, you know, some some uh, it's 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 unevenly distributed. Let's put it that way. Um, and perhaps at the, at the at, as you scale in terms of size and complexity, it's um, it's maybe an issue. But in terms of detail, um, some of the most advanced uh, technical aspects of AEC, as you say, are are actually in the in the open source space, right? So it's not that that it's a question that everything has to catch up. It's that some things are already there and beyond the the, be the beyond the state of the art in the commercial software space. Um, so let's let's review, uh, you know, the specific things that you yourselves have made um, or are contributing to making, uh, and so we can kind of put a kind of um, put as it were position your jewels in the crown of open source AEC tools. I mean, let's start with you, Bruno, because um, you might not see it this way, but I'm just going to call it a product. Homemaker is in effect a product or an embryo embryonic product that's based on uh, Blender plus some other. I think parametric programming elements in the background. Can you describe it and 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 maybe sort of flavor how you know the open source aspect of it is is relevant to the to the essence of the product? Yeah. So um, when I, when I was studying architecture, one of the things I discovered, which a lot of people discovered, was this book called The Pattern Language, which is uh, by Christopher Alexander. Um, and so the pattern language is, is, is a guide to what works in buildings and what doesn't. So it's, it's a series of um, 153 patterns um, that go from large scale to small scale. And, the, and, and the, the simple things like telling you how to design a balcony or an entrance. Um, and so for years, I wanted to, um, I thought, this, the, there's got to be a way to make this work, to automate this, use these as rules for designing buildings. Um, and because, um, not least because people have had real trouble using a pattern language to design buildings, it, it requires a, a, an iterative approach. So um, 
So my solution was to was to evolve buildings and use pattern language as a fitness criteria. Um, so this is a project I've been working on for, for a number of years, and, and it basically works. It designed buildings. I think they're quite nice buildings. Um, but what I needed was a, a platform to, to, to work on. And, um, and, and for me, um, Blender BIM, which is Dion's work with Blender, is, is the ideal platform to, 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 um, to work with um, the results of, of, of these designs. So, so I'm, I'm, so I'm a, a user of the software as such. Um, Yorick, uh, g- give, us a, give us a quick sort of potted summary of, of, of FreeCAD, what it is and, where, and, and, and how, how you position it in the market for software as it were. Okay, uh, so FreeCAD is uh, actually a generic CAD platform. It's not targeted at AEC or Bing. Uh, it's really started as a me- mechanical CAD uh, platform, but uh, it strives to be generic, so it really serves everybody. Um, and it, it's used um, a bit by anybody. Uh, it's used by engineers, it's used, it's used uh, for uh, modeling parts to be 3D printed mostly, that's the, the main use of it. Uh, by the Bing industry, um, even in um, rocket engineering, it has a lot of different uses because it's very generic. Uh, it's a solid modeling platform, um, means that's the dif- big difference with, with Blender, for example. Blender is mesh-based and FreeCAD is solid-based. Um, there are like pros and cons for, for any of them. That's why both platforms are really relevant and don't kill one uh, each other um, <clears throat> and um, yes uh, the, that's basically it uh, I what I've been doing mostly uh, in FreeCAD is working with the, on the beam tools um, and let's say uh, it has I think now quite a nice collection of, of beam tools uh, all the stuff you find in commercial BIM platforms, like uh, uh, tools to build walls, build windows, build roofs, etc., uh, are there in FreeCAD now. Um, you can generate sheets, um, do- sheet drawing from from, from your model uh, automatically, etc. Let's say it really has more or less all the tools you would find in in a commercial BIM platform now. Would you say that um, you are currently aiming to compete with commercial tools in AEC um, design space or not yet or never? I mean, just to kind of add, add a tiny piece of clarity. So when you say that it's a general CAD tool, what you basically mean is that it's not, it's not, it wasn't set up as a parallel to, for example, Autodesk products. It is set up, for example, as more directly a parallel to classic engineering CAD like Cartier or, or, or um, Altair or those kinds of products. But now you're, you know, you're saying that the AEC component of it, the BIM component of it is improving. Do you think it's reaching the point that it's competitive to Autodesk products or McNeil products, for example, or is that not even on the radar? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, it's on the radar, definitely. We would all at FreeCAD like to, to be able to, like, um, uh, go to the, to the, the the CAD people and BIM people and say, hey, look, you can switch to FreeCAD now. Uh, it's there. Um, as we 
all said, no, it's not that simple. I mean, there is all kind of um, learning process involved. Uh, but yes, definitely, we would like that. Uh, on the other hand, um, that's one of the other beauties of working on a free software uh, project is that you're not forced to do the same. Um, I think most uh, decisions uh, taken in designing a software like uh, Revit uh, are based on commercial um, um, commercial goals, uh, basically. Probably the commercial people are who are dictating how the software evolves. Uh, and in a free software, we have no commercial interests. Uh, so we do what we genuinely think uh, is best. And since uh, such a project is actually a collection of the, uh, individual developers, so you have all these developers doing what they think is best. And the software is a kind of, um, let's say, convergence of all these individual directions. And that turns the whole thing really interesting. And that's something you don't find in this convergence, in this kind of uh, community-based evolution mm. is something that takes the software to, I think, okay, another direction than commercial software. And um, we used to joke at FreeCAD to say uh, FreeCAD is a, a social project before a technical project because there is so much happening there. And the fact that it's um, so broad in, in scope <clears throat> and that in with the same software, you have people uh, doing BIM projects and on the side you have people doing 3D printing and all these areas permeate uh, one onto each other and uh, that's something really really interesting that, that's happening um, and so no we're not going there we certainly uh, are going somewhere else and um, and you have the same thing with uh, developers as well. Um, most, I would say, 70% of the FreeCAD developers today, uh, let's say there are like about 50 um, frequent developers, uh, I would say 70% are uh, were users before. They learned to program using FreeCAD. Um, so this is another kind of special setup of, of FreeCAD compared to a commercial product um, so yes as much as we would like to, to let's say get there um, we probably will get there somewhere else uh, because this is a kind of big experiment also and it takes us yeah. um, where it takes us let's say so Dion give us the setup of, of firstly Blender and then Blender BIM yeah, so Blender, again, similar to FreeCAD, um, is an extremely generic package uh, designed for CG artists to have a suite of all, everything they need in the creative pipeline of producing uh, CG. So whether that be static images or, um, uh, or, or full-blown feature films, uh, it's all directed at artists. It's an artist tool. And that's probably why Blender, ha if you compare it to CAD tools, the, the, the way you create geometry in, in Blender is much more freeform and expressive and flexible. Uh, in, in, and it requires a very different way of thinking because 
and and I and I like to just stress this because we're mostly addressing it at the AC audience. And when they come to Blender, what they find are things which clash with with what they've been taught. Um, a lot of the time, uh, if they grew up in in modern BIM tools, because it's this one is directed at artists primarily, and Blender's been around a very very long time and has grown. And, and is now seen as uh, w uh, as one of the uh, g great examples of how open source has flourished. Um, now, what Blender doesn't have is is all of the CAD stuff. It doesn't have CAD tools. It doesn't uh, even things like moving objects from one place to another, the way you do it in CAD is different from the way you do it in Blender, and that trips up a lot of people. And Blender also doesn't have all of the things to do with uh, BIM modeling. So if you pick up Blender and your purposes are to do with visualization, no problem. That's, that's it's a great tool. Now, Blender BIM is a, the Blender BIM add-on is a relatively new add-on. It's only... Uh, just over a year old. So it's, it's extremely new in, in the context of things. Um, and in fact, before I started developing it, I was one of those guys who used FreeCAD and, and migrated to uh, hacking on FreeCAD. Uh, and after some time, I, I migrated and said, oh, it'd be cool to build these things, but w within a Blender environment. And the Blender BIM add-on does not yet provide the full suite that FreeCAD promises in, in terms that you it's got the door tool, the window tool, the wall tool, and then you know, the sheet creation tool. Uh, instead, it's taken um, a fairly different approach to, to the problem. And what the Blender BIM add-on does is convert Blender, which is an artist tool, into a tool that can uh, read and manipulate BIM data that complies with international standards. And uh, one of these is known as IFC. So all of the BIM data that we produce uh, is usually produced in a proprietary software, which is uh, so all that data can only be fully read and understood in that proprietary software. And people try to collaborate by exporting something known as uh, an IFC dataset. And this form of collaboration allows us to get the data out of the proprietary package and get it somewhat read in other applications. But the reason I say somewhat is because the support in proprietary applications is generally so poor uh, that we can never fully trust uh, this even though it is an international standard and has been around for decades, we're still failing at the basics to include uh, really simple information in our BIM uh, data. And therefore, all this investment we're doing into our BIM information is based, a lot of it's being lost. And so what the Blender BIM add-on does is start with, let's get our data really clean and compliant to an international standard. And later on, when that is stable, then we'll build the, the user experience around it, that they can press a button and a wall appears. So really what the Blender BIM add-on does first is structure data. And I know this is a bit of an abstract thing, um, but in a bit more concrete terms, there are features like uh, doing collision detection, uh, visualization, 
and um, doing data patching, data auditing, uh, model comparison, and some basic drawing generation as well. Uh, is it a, is it a big part of the Blender world, or is it a small? Um, how how much is it taking over the Blender conversation, as it were? It's an absolutely tiny uh, aspect of Blender. Blender is a huge community uh, which is mainly directed at artists. So mm -hmm. uh, people who do buildings, especially big buildings, which is what Blend Blender BIM is meant for, because smaller domestic scale uh, construction doesn't really need all this BIM stuff, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can get away with a lot. Uh, but as, as you start scaling up, that's where the stuff uh, comes in use, and that's why the and that's the reason the approach this has taken. But that audience is it's, it's at the moment a tiny, tiny fraction of Blender users, but it is growing within the AEC space, even though it's so tiny within the Blender space itself. Or would you say that? You, how do you feel about the competitive aspect? Do you feel that you are or you could be a competitive commercial? software or as Yorick says, that's not really the end game anyway. Um, I think the end game of Blender BIM is, Blender BIM is just one aspect of a, of a broader picture here uh, known as an umbrella suite of tools uh, under the package IFC OpenShell. And that broad, a broader game is to provide a full suite of tools that somebody can deliver our built environment from beginning to end across every single discipline, purely using free software. And that's an incredibly ambitious goal. So yes, the, the, the goal definitely is not just to compete, but to make it the norm that we have everything we need with free software to deliver our built environment. We're not there yet, but that is the, that's the end goal. I mean, just, just, just briefly on the, on the kind of competitive dynamic, I don't want to get kind of too caught up in this, but one of the, I mean, arguably one of the reasons why open source in other spheres hasn't directly taken over, as it were, from commercial software is that um, the nature of an open source project is that because it's not a company, it doesn't have a marketing budget and there's no one deciding who to go after as a competitor, it just evolves in space and people use it or they don't. Um, is that a real issue? In other words, would, you know, if somebody could give somebody in, in the free CAD environment or the Blender BIM environment community, a giant stack of money that would continue to arrive, would there be a way to use it for marketing purposes? And what I'm trying to put a lens on is, rather than just kind of technically, could you compete? Culturally, could you and would you, as a set of developers, want to compete with commercial software? If there was money for marketing, separately from development itself. Maybe Dion, you can grab that for that first. I think it depends on the culture of the project. Every single open source community has a culture that we have to understand when you enter that community and, and it grows on you. Yeah. And you cannot speak on behalf of a culture that you aren't uh, too familiar with. Some cultures will absolutely rise to that and will we'll, we'll take it on. So for example, the Blender community uh, for example, the Blender Foundation, they started as a for-profit company. They have, uh, they, they understand how to manage it like a business and have run the foundation as an organization. Um, they've still engaged extremely well and are built 
by their community, but there is an organization which right. has a strong cultural sway over the project's direction. Very interesting. And yeah. so if you give them a fat stack of cash, they will definitely make decisions around investment and milestones and, and, and um, priority. Wait, 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 just a second. Would you say that that is, that is, nor, that is a normal state of affairs, is an open source software? Is it, is it relatively unique to Blender? Because I, I would say that it's not that normal that there's quite so much coherence in leadership terms. And I do think it's probably part of the reason why Blender is so successful, both in terms of being a, as it were, coherent product, but also just being visible as a thing. I think it's, it becomes more common as the project grows. Almost right. every single okay. open source project in it historically has started as a small, let's say, itch that a, a single person wants to scratch. Recently, mm-hmm. things seem to be changing. We, as, as free software becomes just the way things are in the technology industry, there are companies who base their business strategies around free software. And for them, absolutely, they will take that business-minded approach and will invest um, time and resources and organization and, and direction and strategy and, all, and marketing and all the rest of it. However, historically, you're right, it has not been that common, but things are changing. They definitely mm-hmm. are. So it really depends on who you're asking. If you're asking me personally, as, as, as someone working on the Blender BIM project add, add-on, and in IFC OpenShell, and also somebody involved in OS Arch, uh, definitely within IFC OpenShell and the Blender BIM add-on, it, it is something that I would look to push as uh, on, uh, almost like a business. I mean, we wouldn't be commercially driven. We would see it as a resource. Sure, yeah. Um, but we would definitely uh, have a very opinionated approach on how to take that resource forward. Um, Yorick, uh, so if I had in my pocket a billion dollars, all right, and I said, look, I want FreeCAD to take on Autodesk and McNeil and ArchiCAD or Katia, um, Deso Systems or whoever um, in the engineering space, um, where would I send the money and who would spend it on what? Maybe you send it back. I don't know. But what do you think? Well, it would be a problem actually <clears throat> today uh, because uh, FreeCAD is still a small project. We don't even have a way to receive that that money. At the moment, you can already donate to the project, but basically your money would go would be split between a couple of developers who want to take that money. That's yeah, just to clarify, today. I do not have a billion dollars, so you don't have to worry about it. I mean, just this is a hypothetical. I'm not going to be. Oh, what's the bad news? <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I mean, if if you if you ask, but why don't you guys have something better to receive money from companies? Um, I would say, yeah, we all want that to happen, but as. Yeah. Strangely, when you go to the community, when you ask, okay, guys, let's do it. Uh, who of us will um, will do it, uh, become yeah. a CEO, uh, mount uh, uh, some kind of structure, uh, association, company, whatever? Uh, who of you will stop being a free CAD developer to become a free CAD administrator? Mm, interesting. Nobody, yeah, nobody wants. 
to do that. So well, well, let, me, let, me, let me phrase the question this way. Why is Blender as a community different? How come they've got a more, um, more I mean, I would say coherent, but a more, more kind of grounded foundation structure? What, what happened over there? I think basically uh, because they have a kind of fantastic figure uh, in the, the chairman of Blender, Tom Rosendahl, who yeah. is the one who started it, and he is really an amazing uh, spirit uh, behind all this. And he does exactly what Dion was just saying. Like, like uh, he's driving, um, he knows how to do that. He has done it since the beginning, and he wants to do it. And he has set up all these special um, structure and strong structure around Blender. And um, maybe we need someone like him or some of us to, to learn, to become, uh, to do what, what he did. Um, definitely that's an example for everybody, I think, in, in a free software is to look at Tom Rosendahl. Um, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't have, I don't think we haven't got time to talk about it, but one of the phrases that is sometimes used in open source is the benevolent dictator for life, which has been very effective in Linux. Um, but it doesn't always work out because it, it can lead to, well, dictators. <laughs> so well, we, can, we can't talk about it too much. Bruno, I'll, I'll ask you the question, but in a slightly different way. Do you even believe in the idea of an entity having, as it were, quasi-centralized power to market its own open source tools? Or you just don't even believe in that at all? No, it certainly works. It certainly works with Blender, um, and it works with the you know obviously Firefox has, hasn't 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 progressed in quite the way we wanted, but it, but it's certainly worked for tools such as Firefox and um, LibreOffice, um, and and of course there are big companies like Red Hat that have run run like this for a long time. Um, so yeah, that 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 system works. Um, the 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 difference for perhaps for where um where Dion and Yorick are at is that um they don't necessarily want to copy the existing software right so, right um because because the, you look at a tool like um like Revit or, or AutoCAD these are, these are awful tools they're 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 miserable tools to use people hate them and 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 this is my my why? surprise what do you, what do you, why, why i mean um, i know i have my own reasons why but why do you think so because because they've been designed by marketing departments or the, the features <laughs> the, but, um so so there, there's 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 a real a real um energy of people who would love to get off these tools mm, interesting um and and, and that and, and so there's there's you know there's there's momentum and and in the last year or two it's 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 increased Okay, so we'll come to that question in a way n n next. In other words, who's using it and where is it going I mean, organically as, as opposed to this hypothetical of what if you had money to market as products yourself. Um, but before we do that, let's just kind of unpack um, what's wrong with the software, right? Before we jump into what people love about it, let's just ask ourselves the question, to what extent does it not serve the market, let alone users? I mean, let's just be open for a second. So so maybe let's start with you, Europe. Who shouldn't use FreeCAD from the EEC space and why should they not use it? Um, nobody should not use FreeCAD. <laughs> um, I mean, um, let's say if, if I were to make a list of uh, what FreeCAD is not good at, um, I would say the main thing is that it's um, it's it's nature of being like a 
slow, precise, uh, parametric-driven, solid modeler, uh, where you it's made to make things with precision. Uh, and to use the, the parametric, FreeCAD is fully parametric. Every object in FreeCAD is parametric, is bound to other objects, and you can create these complex chains of one object uh, being built on another. Uh, so you begin to draw a line, and then the length of that line drives the length of your wall that you build on it, and then the height of that wall uh, drives the position of the slab that's on top of the wall, and then and so on and so on and so on. And so you make these complex uh, models, uh, all with relationships between them. That's uh, the bad point of this, is that uh, it's a slow process. Uh, you model a little bit slower than you would do in a more freeform model like like Blender, for example. Um, so you would use that uh, when you need precision and when you will need your parametric model for some reason. For example, you will need to go back and change things. Uh, for other use, for example, when you're like searching or you're still sketching, uh, it's not good for you. You would lose too much time. Like, for example, when you sketch in AutoCAD, it's not practical. Uh, you you'd better use your your hand and and sketch on a paper. Uh, and same things same thing happen. Uh, let's say in the three D world with with FreeCAD, uh, it's a slow modeler. Um, you can get quite fast when when you used to it, of course. Um, but um, I would say that's the the main problem with with this approach. Uh, another one is that uh, you can get really, really complex uh, parametric chains, uh, which is not always good. Um, you can easily break things. If you break that line, I just uh, used as an example, where all your building is based on that line, uh, all the objects that are made on it would break as well. Uh, so you can do harm quite easily. Um, so these things would maybe uh, make you think, okay, I'm better with something different um, that has a more simple geometry, more simple objects. Uh, and it's basically the contrary of Blender. That's why both are so interesting, uh, because those are really opposite di directions in the, mod in the 3D modeling world. Uh, Blender is based on mesh. It's really simple geometry. It's points and triangles, basically. So it's extremely strong. Uh, it's almost impossible to break. Um, you can import really, really dirty models in Blender, and you fix them. Uh, in FreeCAD, no, it's not that simple. If you import a really broken model, uh, it's a lot of work to, to make something out of it. Um, so that would be really, uh, I would say, um, the main point is to be conscious of um, the specificities of of a solution that you that you choose or, or another. The good thing with open source is always the same. Uh, you're not forced to stay with one uh, solution. Um, I don't know anybody. I think uh, who works with FreeCAD, who works only with FreeCAD. Um, most of us here and. I think almost anybody in the OSARC community uh, use more than one thing. So you use Blender when you need Blender, you use FreeCAD when you uh, you need FreeCAD, you use something else like LibreCAD, anything. 
uh, Inkscape, and there are hundreds of other interesting tools for doing Beam and architecture work with open source. And it's, you might think of it of like a big ecosystem, I think. And that's how it really, really works well. I mean, so it's interesting you say that, right? Because one of the great ironies of, let's just take Autodesk products as it's right at the center of this conversation. Autodesk products perpetually claim to be offering either a complete solution in one piece of software or a highly integrated ecosystem of products, but it's absolutely not the case. Uh, you get what you want out of um, out of either one of their pieces of software, let alone their whole ecosystem, which they keep changing. Um, and so I think it, it makes perfect sense to say, yes, we are a good solution in the ecosystem of related solutions, given that the commercial market leaders end up being exactly the same, if, if at all, right? Um, Dion, t tell us where the skeletons are buried, as it were, in the, in the Blender BIM space right now. Yeah, so I think it's important to separate Blender and, and the Blender BIM add-on. So right. Blender, as Yorick said, is almost the opposite of FreeCAD. It's mesh-based, it's highly freeform, and therefore, if you're using purely Blender as a tool and you want to draw a circle, you should probably not use Blender <laughs> because it can't draw circles, right? If you If you press the circle tool, what it actually does is it creates... 32 points in space, <laughs> which are facets of that circle. So um, definitely, that's that's the wrong tool to use if if your if your day job is drawing perfectly uh, defined circles all the time. Mm -hmm. However, then you get tools like the Blender BIM add-on, which uh, kind of do a bit of magic on top of Blender, in that it bypasses the whole mesh-based thing of Blender that you can actually draw a perfect circle in Blender BIM because it uses IFC. It uses IFC as the definition. So although it looks like 32 points in Blender, it's actually a true circle and you can analyze its area and perimeter as a circle and its position and radius and central point as a circle and, and all the rest of it. So hmm. uh, it... Just out of curiosity, so we'll come to the technical stuff. We'll actually do technical stuff a bit later, but just out of curiosity, I didn't know that in the IFC definition it had a... Uh, a mathematical representation of the object. I just thought it was a metadata representation. Well, it it, it stores geometry. Yeah, so it do, it does yeah. have the ability to define a, a parametric circle and parametric by mm -hmm. the fact that it has a center and a radius. Or uh, do you are you adding that in to the or is it inherent to the definition? It it's it's existed in IFC for a, a, a very very long time, and not many sure, people sure, support yeah. it that well, unfortunately. We, we, we had, I mean, yeah, our, our, the state of BIM in the industry is so poor that we're struggling to to ensure that. I'm, going, I'm, I'm embarrassed, by the way, that I, I just didn't know that. I thought IFC was simply just a metadata package. Uh, I didn't know that it had any geometric um, data layers in it. So that's very useful to know. Yeah, it, it's got a whole lot in it. But I guess uh, back to the original question of the skeletons of what's blender really bad at it's very bad at circles don't use circles you know what's blender really bad at it's really bad at structural analysis it has no structural analysis features please don't structurally design your model in blender you need to couple it with another package and that's what open source uh, like this is mantra in open source where we say don't build these monolithic beasts build a very focused tool that does a focused job very, very well. One tool that one, does one thing and does it super well, and then make the tool talk to another tool. 
that's the mantra of open source. And, and, and it, it speaks mm. to the way that we collaborate and, and how York described that nobody at OSArch just uses one tool. Everybody speaking here has used a whole bunch of tools together. We mix GIS with QGIS, with Blender, with FreeCAD, and you can do a project. And this is uh, across these tools. And, and more so, I think uh, we'll see much more of that in the future in tighter BIM integrations between in Blender and FreeCAD. And I've already done proof of concepts of it now, where half a project is built in Blender, the other half of the project is built with FreeCAD, uh, less than half in, in, in my particular scenario. But a portion of it was done in FreeCAD. And that and that's not new, right? We, commercial software already does that, right? We have a building project uses a whole bunch of different applications. This is no different to what we do right now, right? Somebody's using Tecla doing steel, somebody's doing uh, architecture in ArchiCAD, and somebody's doing mechanical in Revit. And you and use those three packages together, and somebody's doing cost planning and cost decks and blah, blah, blah. There's a whole ecosystem. But the big difference is that they don't speak. They don't speak to one another. They, they look at one another. Like you get read-only <laughs> things, and 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 that and they look at it through kind of beer goggles of sorts. They don't really see how <laughs> how it really works. But it's not speaking. Whereas uh, now with free software and international standards, we we see a lot more of the speaking. You look at Ladybug tools. That's an excellent example of of speaking. Um, in that Ladybug Tools provides an interface to a whole bunch of really technical uh, focused tools. They take all these simulation engines and bring them together in a consistent uh, uh, node-based interface that you can push and pull. At the uh, Under the hood, all it's doing is calling other software. I mean, not, not to downplay how complex Ladybug Tools is, but under the hood, that's what it's actually doing. It's, it's, it's not doing the simulation. Ladybug's not doing the simulation. It's just calling other things. So you're asking me where the skeletons are. The skeletons are just like every single other thing. It, it doesn't, it's not meant to do everything. There are so many things you shouldn't be using Blender for because it's not meant to do that. If you want to draw a circle, if you mm. want to draw parametric solid things, don't use Blender, use FreeCAD. But at the same time, you should use Blender because sometime in our career, in our incredibly interconnected, diverse, collaborative industry that we are in, you want to understand what the guy who is doing ArchViz is doing. You want to see it from their point of view. You want to understand mm -hmm. the BIM data guy. For that, use Blender BIM. Please do. And even if it is not the main power horse, it is still useful to learn and, and to use even for just a bit because at some point in the project, your tool will speak and talk back to that tool. And I guess, yeah, that brings me to the very first thing which Yorick said. There, there's no reason. You sh everybody should use it. Mm. Whether I mean, it's, just a couple of comments on, 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 what, on, what, on, on, what you've, on what you've said. Um, uh, the, the 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 tool that we built called in the in the design space called Space Engine is, is a kind of is a kind of mashup right now of of Rhino desktop. So we 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 draw objects in Rhino and we parameterize them in in Grasshopper as conventional, and then we pipe them out to um, and then we then we package them in a, in a Node.js web application and pipe them out through the web application to 
to um, uh, Rhino Compute, which sends back um, uh, images to render to 3JS. And so in, in, in kind of commercial terms, what we've got is basically a commercial desktop layer, which we use to set up a file structure and web app that is in a open source environment, which we then send back to a um, commercial geometry kernel, which we then render in an open source environment. And, and both in terms of, you know, um, you've both expressed some point relating to this in slightly different ways, Yorick and, um, and Dion, but basically use what is best for what is there. Um, and you'll discover that there's a lot of open source in the mix, right? Slightly different from what you, I think your implication is, which is actually there's a lot of open source tools you can use to create a kind of open source suite of 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 tools. So you don't need to reach into the into the commercial space. But extending that point or limiting that point, either way, um, that's the way we've ended up approaching it. Which is well, obviously it makes sense to use open source tools in in key parts of the of the stack, um, and and in some cases. You know, it's just available. It makes sense to use a commercial uh, product. For example, right now there's no uh, open source version, uh, as far as I know, of um, Rhino Compute. I mean, of a, of a web-based geometry kernel, uh, and so that is a limiting factor there. Were it were, were there such a thing, we almost certainly would use it. Um, but it definitely is moving down the case. Just from the commercial side, that we you know you 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 wrote open source and wherever you need to to build a design. Stack um, and, I, and I and I understand your 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 point respectively is that you can actually always use Blender and um, and FreeCAD if you want to, uh, and there is a reason to if you assume that there's an you know, there's an ecosystem of other tools that you can use to complete whatever your you know, design or, or or development or or build journey is. Um, do you have a view? Let's start with you, Bruno, on tools like. Um, Let's talk about Hyper. I mean, I, I, I cheekily tried to con convince Ian to join the podcast at the very last minute. Um, uh, Ian Keogh, who, who founded um, Hyper. Do you have a view on tools like that, which are commercial tools, but have a very, very open interface um, and actually a, a, a kind of, I wouldn't say open source, but open culture in terms of developing, uh, you know, content for it. So the, the Hyper elements, um, uh, feature, which is basically building a kind of IFC compatible, extensible model library and so forth. What, what's your? Do you have a view on those kinds of things? Do, would you would you say count as open source or open source culture, or are they Trojan horses? Where do you? What's your view on that kind of thing, Bruno? Um, uh, well, first I'd like to say that um, that, that I mean we all use mixed use of, of um, proprietary and free software. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it's unavoidable, and we're not, none of us yeah. are precious about it, or, or will will sneer at you for for doing so. Um, that, though we are aware of the issues that, that come from that, that you you end up depending on on the whims of a company. So so you might be depending on um, some Rhino um, API, um, and they could just take it away. Um, well, they do. I mean, the, yeah. the, the 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 engine goes. I mean, the, it's extremely annoying. Rhino Compute is in beta, which just goes down whenever they want it to. So you're showing a client this thing, and it's like there's no there's nothing coming back from the server. <laughs> Yeah, and, so exactly right, and and and, and the the other whims of a board meeting where they say, "Well, this Rhino compute thing is not very profitable. Um, exactly. Let's do something else." <laughs> exactly, um, and 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 then you're stuck. And and um, yeah. so th this is the issue with with these web services is that um, not that they aren't run by great people or they're fantastic technology or that they even using um, open source under the hood, which they quite often are. That's that's all fantastic, mm -hmm. but um, but but can you depend on them being there? Can, can you trust your data with them? 
So you you basically believe. I mean, so just to put it in pretty robust terms, you believe there's a binary which is pretty absolute, which is ultimately it's either it's either open source or it isn't, no matter well, what it looks like. Well, not necessarily. So, so for instance, we we all um, use um, uh, tools like GitHub, which is uh, which mm. is owned by Microsoft. Yeah, and, mm. and a whole load of that that stack is 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 closed, but but we use it because Git itself is an open protocol. And and if I have a, a clone of a Git repository on my computer, I have everything I need. Yeah, I, the, the mm -hmm. GitHub could go down tomorrow, and and I just migrate to another service. I wouldn't lose a thing. Um, so so. That... Okay, but so but let's look, okay. So that's that that's a very good example, right? So so how would you characterize Hyper from that perspective? Would you say that it's a it's a it's a kind of facilitation, or like GitHub? of a software and development and design environment which doesn't rely on it or is it more in the other direction which is you rely on them and then you need them I, to I, I, can't, I can't comment on hyper because I don't, I don't know enough about it I'm afraid okay. um, do you have a view on that of those kinds of things Yorick or, or Dion or, or, or things like that basically services that have a very open culture and technical set of interfaces but still are fully commercial enterprises yeah I think it's um dangerous um an, an example might be dynamo i could be wrong but i think dynamo is still com a commercial product owned by autodesk um and it isn't i mean there's tons of open interfaces to it but it is still a commercial feature set of Revit. is that not right uh you mean that they they like have a kind of file hosting service I thought Dynamo was just a, a, a product that is owned by, I could be wrong, but I thought it was still owned by Autodesk. Yes, it is. And if you look at it, at it um, it's really uh, developed very differently than, than other free, so free software like, like, right. like FreeCAD. Uh, most of the, the work there is done by very few people. And mostly, I don't know, because I don't look much in it, in it but probably mostly uh, Autodesk people who work on it. And yeah. so you see that apparently some other people do add-ons for it or um, create um, th these boxes for it. Um, but it hasn't really been taken by a community. It's still uh, the product of a of, of, of company. Um, I'm really uh, generally curious to see where Dynamo will go. Uh, is it viable? Is it possible that it develops that way uh, without being like taken by a community? Or um, I have no idea. But um, I think the community is the important part. Uh, that, uh, for example, I used to say that uh, one of the great things with with Freaked is that it has like more than two hundred uh, authors. Um, so basically, if you would want to like change the license of FreeCAD, it's basically impossible. You would need to yeah. ask the permission to 200 people. Uh, certainly one of them will not agree. Um, so that's actually one of the strengths of the, of the whole thing is the community, is the fact yeah. that it's owned by nobody. And um, so I, I'm curious if that can work, if an open source project like that is not owned by such a community can, can really thrive and, and become an open source project. 
Um, so, uh, so Dion, on, on that point, I mean, so if we just put it, we say if we take Dynamo and Hyper and Grasshopper, these are all commercial products with very open interfaces and communities. Where do you stand on those kinds of things? Is it a friend or a foe or neither in relation to fully open source AEC and design tools? So, as a personal standpoint, there are a few ways to categorize these types of things. I mean, at one extreme, you have incredibly closed commercial uh, products, uh, proprietary software with proprietary add-ons that it's, it's all closed. And, and that uh, most definitely, uh, I would try to avoid as much possible. Um, although, as Bruno says, sometimes you cannot avoid it. Just the nature of, of the, how the world works is that sometimes there is no alternative and you just have to use it. And, and that's just the fact of life. Then you have the other extreme, uh, like Blender is, is, is a good extreme, where you have a very open core. And I'm separating the core with the add-ons here because that, that's really what, what, what it comes down to. You have a, an open core with a open ecosystem of plugins and add-ons and community around it. And that's something I would mm. uh, definitely encourage as, as much mm. as possible. And it's the same as FreeCAD. FreeCAD is, is, is in the same camp. And then you get this gray area, you know, this, this funny gray area in between of what happens if you have Blender or FreeCAD, but the add-on on top of Blender or FreeCAD is closed. Do you support that? Do you not support that? And then you have the inverse. You have, what if you have something like uh, Revit, but you have a an open source add-on to Revit, mm -hmm. and and that's where it starts to get fuzzy, and mm -hmm. the the rule I generally use on whether per, and this is a personal decision, and I think everybody has their own stance on it, on, on whether I support it or not depends on the community and it, and its culture. So if they are an open, collaborative community, because to me, open source is as much as, about the social aspect of it as the technical, um, then I, I tend to support it more. Uh, for example, the, the, the way that people collaborate on top of Grasshopper with their huge amount of add-ons and, and their community forums, that is something I support. Um, in general, I would support a closed on top of an open uh, core uh, more than a uh, an open on top of a closed core, um, but, but that that's my personal uh, hierarchy. Uh, but 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 it's but it's your call really. Um, but I I would like to uh, distinguish that certain things they they sound as though they're open, but they they really aren't. So Dynamo is an example of a closed core with uh, let's be I mean theoretically it's not a closed core you could use dynamo completely agnostic but in practice it's a closed core with dynamo being the open add-on because exactly, uh, yeah. it, it has the free software license it's under apache but it doesn't have that community you know it, it it's it's yeah. open in legal terms only but not in spirit and yeah. it's the same with like the ifc import export for Revit by Autodesk is open source, but mm -hmm. it's only there in spirit. If you look at the code base, you're like, holy cow, I can't contribute to this. <laughs> or it's, 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 it's mm -hmm. not quite the same, you know, it's, it's, it's very yeah. restricted. Um, so. I do, I do think that's one of the differences that, that has, that has manifested between Grasshopper, uh, between, uh, between um, Grasshopper and, and Dynamo, which is the Grasshopper. I mean, technically they're very similar models, which is that you have a closed core and you have an interface in the form of Grasshopper and, um, 
and Dynamo and the kind of plug-in environment through that interface, which has been used by third parties. But in the case of Grasshopper, it, it feels much more open and collaborative than, as you say, with, uh, with Dynamo, although technically they are actually very similar. Absolutely. Uh, just a quick point I want to highlight here that when we talk about open and closed, uh, there is, uh, apart from all this gray area stuff we've been discussing, there is actually a very strict legal definition, which I just want to point out because there has been some instances in the industry of uh, like kind of the equivalent of greenwashing. It's like open washing. They call themselves open. Yeah. But they're not really. Mm -hmm. uh, there are clear legal definitions of a license that your project must be under uh, to consider it to be free software or open source. There are uh, two big lists, one hosted by the Free Software Foundation and another hosted by the uh, Open Source Initiative. Mm -hmm. um, and we won't go into it now, but there are clear definitions. So before you just claim something is open, like if it has, mm -hmm. if they say, oh, we have an open API, they are not necessarily open. Mm -hmm. I mean, most APIs should be open. <laughs> That's how an API works. <laughs> so it goes without say. But the, uh, for for those watching this, and and don't don't just um, there will be a lot of people talking about how things are open where you you might need to second guess it a little bit. So, yeah. I mean, there's I I can't think of a specific example yet in the AC software space. But it but but if I mean an example that occurs to me from. You know, kind of prehistory of early history of open, of uh, not so much open source, but but um, well, yeah, open source. I mean, basically, there was a thing called the the uh, the compact disc database, right? Uh, in uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where people were submitting um, metadata for CDs, right? So if you put a CD in a player, and the player is attached to the internet, it could look up using some you know identifier on the CD, what is this record? What is this uh, disc? And download the metadata, which is particularly convenient if you were, you know, burning CDs from people from from the internet, for example. So you could get the the information about the about the the track list and the you know, album cover and whatever. And then that database was privatized and then sold to a third party, who would then make the data available to people for a fee. And people were quite pissed off because they had submitted the entire database, right? It, it was a it was a user submitted open source database. And I, I don't think we've seen that yet in the the in the in the closed uh, in the AUC space, but it is one of the things that can easily happen. Um, uh, and so it's something that you know, to your point, as as to whether things are truly open or truly closed, so the licensing aspect is actually very important because it can protect exact against exactly those things, as you say, Yorick. You know, the, the licensing base of FreeCAD likely will protect people privatizing a company coming in and privatizing it in some way. Um, even if their intentions are theoretically uh, good, in, in terms of the culture, right? Just to kind of go out to the people for to people the, the people using it for a second. Do you think that there is a profile of user um, that uh, that comes to BIM, uh, Blender BIM, or or FreeCAD, or is it a variety of categories, or is it anybody? I mean, Bruno, you're a you're a super user, as it were. You know, you've built specific high-end product on on blender maybe you should start on this um are there what would you say the user community is for for open source aec software is it hobbyists professionals tool builders i mean where where where, where is the community where is the culture at 
Um, I, it's, it's difficult to say because because uh, the the certainly the AEC industry is is, is dozens of cultures that, that don't really interact. So um, right. So we only see a small aspect of it. So I, even though I'm trained as an architect, I, I don't really work with architects. So right. it, it would be it'd be hard for me to say what well, well, you know. Uh, we, we certainly um, encounter lots of architects on the Earth Arch Forum who, who are all desperate to use these tools. But whether yeah. that's whether that's a, a, um, that's, yeah, a normal situation in the industry, who, who knows? I'm, I'm more familiar with engineers who, who are, and and the engineers I work with are quite happy to to, to use um, free software um, engineering kernels yeah, and engineering software um, they're, they're, because they learn to use, they learned all these tools at university. But at university, architects learn, you know, grasshopper for them. Dion, do you have a set? Is there is are the people that that you see coming in around Blender BIM? Is it a specific type of user, or is it very diverse? It's incredibly diverse. I'm, there, there's so many people who I wouldn't have thought would have used uh, Blender BIM. I mean, one of the examples I give is this was just one of the first releases of blender bim it was nothing it was a few hundred lines of code that's it. It, it almost nothing and the and it didn't do much and then all of a sudden this guy comes in from nowhere and says hey i'm using blender bim to automate uh status reports of compactor machine data on on highways i'm like oh okay well that was not on the top of my to-do list on 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 functionality to build but but okay right i mean you, you cannot predict this the world is so diverse um now but one thing i do have to say that the people in os arch um uh, almost the, the vast majority of, of people joining os arch are trained professionals in their respective disciplines um, they, they are all working in commercial environments, uh, delivering commercial, um, uh, uh, the built environment. So it's it's not people playing around uh, with their backyard. Uh, there are, but, but the vast majority are not just people who are playing around with their backyard extensions. So that's the type of people that I've noticed coming into OS Arch. There's been a vast uh, array of disciplines, architects do 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 come um but os arch is not just about architects it's about the whole built environment that we get engineers as mechanical engineers there are uh, environmental simulationists there are uh, landscape uh, architects cost planners uh, people doing 4d so it's a, it's a very very broad broad spectrum of, of people but the the culture is very hard to describe and it's and you you have to experience a culture, I think you can't you can't distill it so easily into words. Well, let me let me let me let me let me see if I can get this lens in it. Would you say that most people coming into the Blender BIM, and maybe you can answer also, Yorick, for free CAD? Would you say that they are consumers or or contributors or both? Right? You see what I mean? Is that are they contributing to actually the software development, or are they just users and enthusiasts or professionals, but they don't contribute, as it were, as you know, they don't add software development. Is there is there a, is there a breakdown there that you can detect? They definitely do contribute. The, the, yeah. I, I guess that's uh, the nature of the early adopter that they are power users right. and therefore uh, right. also contribute back. And it's not. And I'm not talking writing code contribute, although there are people who do that. 
but in terms of uh, testing, bug reporting, writing documentation, right, um, exactly. spreading. Y Yorick yeah. is, is much more mature and, and has a, a much greater, uh, I'll let him describe it. Is that, would you say that's the case for, uh, for FreeCAD, Yorick, is that the, the users are generally power users who contribute to the overall development of the tool, or is it, more con is it gradually becoming more consumers who just want to have a go and, and see what they can use it for? Yes, it's exactly that. The early adopters, um, <clears throat> really, they are still there. Mo most of them, uh, they like um, got in love with with the software and with the community and with all the project and with all all that stuff. And it's great fun to, to work with FreeCAD and to to make to, to to be part of the project because you have you're not just a user. Uh, you have something to say. You have something to do. Um, it's really fast uh, to, to when you begin to use it to think. Oh, okay, this is a very small area where I could make something better. You know, it might be just like a typo that you find in the menu that you correct, and it's really easy to do that. Uh, you look where is it, and you click a couple of buttons, and it's done. You've made a contribution, and it's really thrilling that. It, after you do that, you see your name everywhere uh, mentioned there that you you help to build the project, and so it happens a lot that um, people begin to to use and get thrilled by by all this different thing that's not just a product offered to them, but a project that's made by people, and that you're just welcome to help, and there is plenty to do, and so it's it's hard to see users that are only users, you know, uh, yeah. people that just use the software and don't contribute. Um, yeah. I would say 98% of the people contribute in a form or another, being just by talking to other people about it. Um, but um, you were also asking of motivation. I would say like most people get there because they are somehow fed up with commercial uh, solution. Most of them, like, the, like Dion says, are users, already users of other commercial software, and they're just fed up. It doesn't meet their needs. Uh, it doesn't do what they want. Uh, it's too expensive. It locks them into um, closed box uh, from where they cannot get out, uh, something mm -hmm. like that. And I would say that the, that's the main motivation for people to have a look at, at FreeCAD. Um, but more and more you begin to see people like, for example, small companies. Uh, like they look at a possible solution to build their own product. And they generally come with to, to, to a project like FreeCAD saying, well, I don't want to base my solution on something closed. So I'm looking at uh, open platforms to build my own solution. And that's something that begins to happen more and more uh, at FreeCAD. And so you begin to have like companies building products and they use FreeCAD internally. Uh, guys, can, can we do another 20 minutes? We've hit our time. I don't want to take more time than, than you've got. But if you give me another 20 minutes, I think we can cover all the other points that were to discuss. Is that okay? Yes. Um, yes, Great. that's okay. Okay, brilliant. Thanks so much. Um, so, we, so we've covered to some extent the kind of cultural dynamic that you know is there. 
Um, let's just quickly touch on education. Is there a dream scenario where you would like open source to be implemented in, in, in AEC education? And let me ask a sort of secondary question, which is, should we get rid of AEC education and have some broader design-oriented software education that covers different design domains in the same tool, if you see what I mean? So there's two questions there. One is, should we put Blender, BIM, and FreeCAD and similar tools into architecture education? And or should we ha educate any designers, and maybe anybody, in design-oriented tools like you know, like um, Blender and 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 FreeCAD, and let them you know discover what specialties they need? Bruno, maybe you got maybe, maybe you got that first. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we'd all like to um to destroy architecture schools, but um. <laughs> uh, the, the, <laughs> uh, you know, I I I, I, I would love to see that that the whole the whole, whole architecture profession adopt a different um uh, you know uh, uh, an apprenticeship system rather than a, than an academic university. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, architects are already using Blender. No, 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 no wait, wait, wait. That, that's yeah. fascinating. I mean, that is itself a huge. That's a huge universe of thought right there, which is the, <laughs> the premise of apprenticeship rather than rather than architecture schools. But, I mean, so what, what? But just to be more specific on that point, are you suggesting that part of education should be just sitting with people that are good at things rather than sitting around in fake crits and? Mm, yeah, I, I, I think um, not only um, do, do people um, not learn a whole load of skills that are for, that are useless, but but uh, the the, the... That certainly the crit environment is, is toxic you know it was, it was awful what an awful way of running an education system so why is it toxic um because it's, it's a bullying environment uh, and okay. you know and i sat through a lot of crits and, and it's always a bullying environment and, and and they justify it by saying well in the real world you're, you're going to have to present to, to developers or, or or politicians and and that's a bullying environment too but um but I, I, the end result isn't good but so in terms of software terms, part I mean maybe there's some points overlapping here, but but you're saying that we should just get away from architecture school anyway and give people. Uh, well, that's not going to happen. With... That's not going to happen. But so your question was, uh, you know, how how do we get people using it in architecture school? And and the yeah. answer is is that they're they're already using Blender for rendering their their um their visualizations. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that for, for me. That's 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 the the path I see for adoption is that younger architects. They're already familiar with these tools with Blender, and 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 then it's going directly from um, using it as a visualization tool to um, to actually designing buildings in it is a quite a small step. Uh, Dion, what so do you have a take on the on the um, on the education aspect? I'll try to stay out of the pedagogy argument. <laughs> Although, personally, yes, I, I completely agree. The crit's an absolutely toxic environment. We're, we're here to make a better built environment. Let's work together, guys. Anyway, <laughs> that, that aside, Bruno's absolutely correct. Blender is already used. And in, in, in fact, it's probably used even more now after COVID because well, you have I, I, those one example, certainly here in Australia, where we have um, people no longer using, uh, being able to access laboratory computers um, at, at the universities because of COVID. And so they work from home and you can't ask every single student to start purchasing all of these licenses for all of these software. 
and and vendors um there's been a case where they've they've done a switcheroo you know a bait and switch where they they've uh, said all right you get it free for a few months because of covid and, th and then they switch and they say oh no you got to start purchasing our and you can't do that to people who are out there just trying to learn and and, and try to uh, uh get the ropes so if, if you are listening to this podcast from an educational environment don't do that to your students. Uh, please show them some some free software that they can really learn under the hood. And, it, and it's not just from that aspect of it. Um, Blender is already used, but it lets you get in under the hood uh, and, and really learn and study in a way that proprietary software does not allow you to. So academia should, and in fact is, using these tools. Um, in energy analysis, the free software they are all using free software. They cannot validate their uh, simulations if, if they don't use free software. Uh, Blender BIM, for example, is already uh, being used in uh, a university in Europe, and IFC OpenShell is already being taught in universities in Europe and used in research projects in, 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 a, in a number of universities in Europe. Uh, hopefully... We, it's starting to be mentioned in Australia here, um, and hopefully we'll see it grow and grow. But really, for those in academia listening to this, if you really want to teach your students and push the boundaries of what's possible, you have to be using this free software because it enables you and it enables your students. Yorick. Uh, yeah, definitely. And there is uh, something else I like uh, in the fact that uh, Blender is a tool that's primarily used for uh, our architectural visualization, uh, making renderings, basically. Um, and I quite like that idea that um, the tool that you used for doing that uh, now allows you to completely design uh, uh, your building because it's it has everything to do to, to do together. Um, I mean, we used to see um, visualization as something like a sub product of architectural design, and I quite like the fact that you kind of reverse the thing and take things from the opposite way, and mm. um, that your visualization tool is becoming your design tool, and it's a really interesting thing that, that happens and it opens a lot of possibilities because really there are things you can do in Blender that you couldn't do with any other software um, just think, because it's so free and so powerful yeah I mean that's a very interesting point that you know that that, that, that students sort of vote with their feet and start with rendering tools and then try to use the rendering tools for for sort of more conventional design and uh, drafting purposes from from some from a from a perspective of having you know from teaching architecture um, there's three kind of competing uh, goals in a way. One is you want people to learn tools that are commercially valuable to them so they can go and sell their skills quickly and get good at things that they need uh, to, to, to design and build buildings. The other is the tools that is most um, uh, powerful, them, powerful for them technically and creatively so they can do the most things in the most powerful ways and the third is the things that they can maybe um, use most flexibly what don't have to pay for they can get in and you know and 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 kind of you know, innovate with them themselves and so i do think this those are the three natural categories so you have you know quite boring products 
like AutoCAD or Revit, for example, which are just commercially useful to know. You have, um, I would say, the leading products in creativity for architects, which would be, let's say, Rhino and Grasshopper, or you know, Maya or 3ds Max, um, and then um, you have things like FreeCAD and and Blender BIM which have a lot of capabilities, particularly, for example, in rendering with, ben, with Blender, but also have a unique uh, aspect, which is that you can absolutely shake the tree and do all sorts of things because of the open nature of them, invent plugins, invent modules, invent features, work with people on features, work with the developers of features that isn't really possible with much of the rest. But actually, even though that's what I would say to students, what's happening is something more interesting even than that, which is that if you teach people to code, which I think should happen in architecture schools, or even before architecture school anyway, they will make their way to the tools that are most appropriate to them because they won't have any doubts or concerns about what software is is best. People get very confident about using um, uh, technology when they have coding skills. And that's interesting to see is they don't wait to be told, they just try everything and and use what they use what they need. And I actually think that dynamic is what is the one that's sort of taking root, is that teachers who, who tell students what software to use or recommend it are already behind the curve, right? The ones that are going to use the software in the most interesting way already know. Um, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a lot of issues around um, uh, um, ownership of, of, of intellectual products in the end. And let's, I mean, in terms of if, you, if, you, if you produce a, you know, a plug-in for... Blender or for FreeCAD or for Grasshopper, the question is, do you own it? Should you own it? Uh, and if you take Ladybug, for example, which was you know, with Honeybee, one of the most used environmental plugins uh, via Grasshopper, that's now become a commercial company. And so it goes to show you that you know, these things can go down a private track. Just separately from that debate, though, in terms of the, the, the content of actual design outputs, there's a there's a kind of strange status around around the, you know the protected nature of design IP in the architecture space because although architectural models are and drawings are usually private, uh, people don't usually try and put um, sort of proper protected intellectual property status so that would be patents or trademarks or copyrights on actual designs. Do you have a view on? on the opening up of design products. So this is separately a separate conversation from design tools. Do you have a view on, um, on uh, as it were, the open sourcing of design itself, right? Design outputs. Maybe we'll come back to you last, Bruno, because I think you, you're probably putting, you're, you're putting a lot of work into that. But do you think that we ha should have a, a, an open source, um, as it were, design library or open source design content as opposed to open source design tools? How do you, how do you feel about that kind of thing? Let's start with you, Dion. Yeah, that's a uh, fascinating question. Um, I, I think the, in, and, and I want to preface this by saying that I'm not a lawyer, so this is, none of this is without any legal understanding whatsoever. There are a couple things to note here. The first thing is that the concept of free software, open source, and a commercial venture are, are not mutually exclusive. There is absolutely nothing wrong with um, with using or creating or s in a commercial environment or or selling open source software, absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. So the Ladybug Tools guys who have now formed a uh, a company, which is potent, I assume it's for profit. There there's 
nothing wrong with that. In fact, we should support it because that is a extremely um, useful funding model if, if they manage to crack it so that they can continue to support the entire industry. Oh, the, the concept we're more interested in is the ability for people to have freedom to collaborate. And that's got nothing to do with commercial aspect. Money still is, is how our world works. So if we get the money to fund and, and better uh, resource these initiatives, all the better, go for it. And especially in the future in, in academia, with, with people in preschool learning how to code and, and in primary school, you know, switching to, to text coding languages and everybody will know how to code. Everybody will be building tools and, and building uh, software. And, and, there, and, and the, 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 the categories of the building design and the tools with, with the advent of algorithmic design and evolutionary design and generative design and all that, they will blur. And so it, I mean, is, is the building protected, design protected? Is the code that generated the building? It's all a bit fuzzy. And I think it's best to step back towards first principles and say, can we uh, collaborate uh, freely together? And the fact is, right now, there is a culture of, uh, never mind all the legal stuff, there's a culture of not collaborating. And the result is that every single architecture firm out there and every single engineering firm, every, every big firm out there is rebuilding the same tools again and again and again. Everybody is building their generate a building tool. Everybody is building their optimize their sun angle tool. Everybody is building their BIM content library again and again. Everybody's building their CDE integration library. Everybody is wasting their time because they're not working together because of that closed mentality. And I think if people realize that that's not what our industry is about, we're not here to sell our BIM library. And in fact, if you do try to sell that BIM library you poured years of development to, it won't give you many, very many dollars, to be honest, because I was in a firm which did that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. We'll scratch that out. <laughs> but but that, that's not the point of the built environment. The built environment, we got into this industry because we want to affect the built environment. And we should be selling those services to create a better built environment. And you don't hire an architect because he's good at tool X, Y, or Z. You don't. So you should be hiring based on who is collaborating and, and making the most informed decisions and able to prioritize uh, the, the very complex decisions that go into deciding the future of our built environment, because it's a hard task. And here we are squabbling around whether our software can speak to your software. No, it's, it's a distraction. You know whether our our design is close or you know, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're using rock that belongs to the earth. You know, it's, 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 it affects the whole world. So I think, regardless of all the legal thing and, and, and IP, if, if you need somebody to sign a paper, fine. Let them sign a paper and be happy. But and try to practice your work in a way, and this, I guess, is a, is a call to action for up-and-coming architects, to in, in a way that works together with other people to really create the best thing that our built environment needs. And we don't have all the answers, but if we work together, we'll have a better answer than if we didn't work together. That's brilliant. Uh, Yorick, well, what's your take on, on that point about content, right, and the protection of, of design content? Does the open source software 
AUC software space have any relevance to that, or is that a whole separate question for you? I don't think it's necessarily um, <clears throat> like uh, both questions are, are together. Uh, those are two different questions. Uh, but there is one interesting thing is that um, working with free software um, makes a lot of questions arise. Um, like, really, uh, you are using uh, free tools. Uh, you are uh, they're talking with other people who are like uh, doing 3D printing and you're sharing ideas and you're looking at what other people are doing and talking about your work with other people. And um, suddenly someone comes there and like, for example, if you know the WikiHouse project and somebody tells you, look, there is such a way to construct things. And... Um, you begin to think, oh, I could use that and I could integrate it with something. Uh, or you see people doing 3D printing and the techniques they use, you begin to think I could use that in my project. And um, and all those things um, begin to make you think, of why uh, do we, uh, like Dion says, uh, do we always reinvent the wheel? Why do we always keep uh, building a project from scratch? Uh, why do we so... Um, cautiously uh, protect our designs uh, so that nobody would steal them uh, when actually these ideas need to 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 to, to travel around and um, and you begin to see things that really makes makes you happy to work on such a project like for example you see uh, people in uh, poor countries in Africa or South America begin to use your tools because they are uh, easier to, to access and to use than uh, commercial tools. And, right. and they do open things with that and you think them that that's the right way to do. Um, they are not only using free tools, they are doing free stuff. Uh, all their stuff is there to, to share. And uh, you begin to think, yes, there is something to do between the two. And there is a link between the two. Um, it's all a part of um, trying to build a world like Dion says, where, where you share things uh, instead of always trying to hide your things from your neighbor so that they don't steal it, uh, which is a kind of stupid in buildings because when the building is done, anybody can copy it. Um, uh, protecting your, your uh, the fact that you're an outdoor um it's not a problem. Um, you're entitled to be uh, defined as the author of something. Uh, and if it's interesting that if you look at all these free software license that uh, they mentioned, uh, they all preserve, they all put the, ex the, the, the focus to preserve that right. Um, anybody can take the free CAD code and do whatever they want with it, basically. The only thing they can't do is to claim that they programmed it themselves. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, uh, you make something free, uh, freely distributable, available, usable, transformable, um, but you still have your right to be uh, um, the author of that thing. <coughs> Sorry. And that's really an interesting thing that uh, you can have both actually. 
Uh, Bruno, so you've got quite, I think, strong, strong views on this. What is your view on, 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 on legally protecting the outputs of design? Um, oh, legally protecting them. I mean, uh, so um, one of the things that um, when you're, when you're in, in, in involved in free software, one of the that you have all these fantastic collaboration tools. Yeah, so so people, people um they scratch a niche and they solve a problem and then they put it out there and it, and it gets packaged and bundled and turned into a module, and then and then other people use that and they don't worry about it. They don't worry about recreating that tool all over again. Um, so so we have these um, tools. So Git is one of them. Git is a version control system where where yeah. um, multiple people can work on the same project at the same time without messing each other's work up. Um, mm-hmm. And we would love to bring tools like that to architecture and engineering and AEC. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's 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 that wouldn't that be wonderful? Where where um, um, people were collaborating from from different disciplines and different locations and, and not treading on each other's toes. Um, that would be great. Oh, uh, uh, whether, yeah, whether, but, but hold on one second. But just to be clear, I mean, Git is still used for pri- for commercial software products. I mean, you, you can perfectly yeah. well have. You know, a, a a private repo that you're using Git to 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 develop software on, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, no, obviously, Git's taken over the world, you know. But it, 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 people just assume it's how it's always been done, but it's not at all. Um, that there 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 really weren't any um uh, any closed source um, version control systems for a long time. Um, yeah. Just, just because, yeah. sorry, I'll let you carry on, but just as a, because it's a fun piece of history, you know, Linux has taken over how I think we should describe the desktop, which is mobile, um, uh, mobile, mobile computing, if you like. I mean, at least two thirds of it, and uh, Git has taken over version control for all software, including commercial software, and both are led by you know everyone's favorite benevolent dictator, Linus Torvalds. And I think people, most people don't know that Git is a Linus Linus production. And he did it explicitly, even more so than with with Linux, to get rid of the shit that was there instead. Yeah. Um, anyway, carry on. Um, but so on on the specific point of outputs, because you're talking about in a way tools. Let's talk about the outputs. If we talk about you know, because Git is a good example, because about what it, what it starts to imply is that sharing authorship over outputs. Is gets easier is much easier in that environment, right? It's just the nature of version control. If it works well, then you can have more collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, are you saying that that thinking in the architecture design space will lead to, as it were, much more open authorship of outputs, not just tool development? Yeah, well, certainly, if you look at architectural detailing, yeah, that um, you know, buildings leak. You know, all, all modern buildings leak, and it's because architects don't know how to detail buildings, um, <laughs> and so. Um, and because they're not taught it in architecture school, uh, and but but if somebody's got a really good detail for for you know an eve or a parapet or or, or such, such like, what, what, why isn't it shared and improved collaboratively with, between architects? Um, surely the world would be a better place. Um, and 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 that's that's the the the, the free software, open source attitude that, that we ought to be encouraging. Yeah. Very interesting. So let's let's tweak it a little bit, uh, but it's, it's somewhat in the same space. Um, do you have a view on how 
open source AEC software and Vim software can relate or should relate to um, gaming engines, right? Because, it, because if I was going to say that there were three beasts in the jungle, right, in software terms of AEC and Vim, that's basically the classic engineering CAD tools, right? So Katia and, and, and Altair and all the big chunky tools out in, in aerospace engineering and so forth, that all of which you know, come over into AEC in, in increasingly, particularly through the civil engineering route. Then you have the classic architecture tools. So you have, you know, Nemechek, Trumbull, you have Autodesk, you have McNeil, you have a few others, Archie, uh, who was the art company behind Archie, I can't remember. Um, and then you have um, gaming engines, right, which are the ones that are accelerating into the space very fast. Uh, and actually they're coming through a very similar evolutionary route as BIM. They're basically visualization tools or at best, you know, um, uh, object modelers or animation tools, um, but they don't have the same math or um, kind of technical grounding that architecture tools do conventionally. Do you have a view, let's start with you, Dion, on the, on the potential influence of uh, gaming gaming engines like Unreal Engine and, and, and Unity for AEC. Does it overlap with BIM? Does it compete? Oh, sorry, does it overlap with Blender? Does it compete with Blender? What's your take on the the in the inroad of, of of gaming engines? Well, I think gaming engines encourage a design paradigm that is much more artistic and craftsmanship like rather than, I think Bruno's word for it is spreadsheet architecture. So, so something that uh, Yorick was talking about, how your rendering tool becomes your design tool, uh, I think that will just, it, it will happen a lot more with these gaming engines. And I see that as an absolutely a good thing. Our, our built environment needs to be beautiful. You know, it, it's, it's what makes our society, uh, it gives our society pleasure to see things of beauty and things of interest, of things that, that are curious and things that we can discover and experience. And sometimes we, we lose that. And, and this is very particular to the architectural discipline, of course, like there's no relevance whatsoever to a mechanical guy um, uh, for, for that aspect of it. Uh, then, then you have the other aspect of gaming engines, which allows more real-time collaboration. And, and this is where I think it starts to cross disciplines. So uh, the way we coordinate large buildings and being able to see them in real time, and this is already happening, and I'll just, and I think we'll just see a lot more of it. And I guess as a, com a client communication tool, but I'm, I guess I'm just saying things that people already know. There's nothing really new here. It, it's, it's another tool. I, I, I see we should support it. Absolutely. It, it's, it does certain things very well, and, and we should encourage that. And Blender, as a tool, I think is already working together uh, with NVIDIA and Epic Games, and, and they have built-in VR. They have AR extensions to it as well. And in the BIM world, Agnostica Blender, like in the IFC space, there are already so many tools which connect it to Unreal and, and Unity and 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 a lot of them are, are open source. So absolutely go for it. Uh, I, I do want to give a shout out to Godot who uh, it, it, as another as a open source a, a full stack open source alternative to Unreal and Unity that people should start taking a look at too. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so, so, I mean, just quickly, Bruno, because uh, we've got a couple more things and then we, can, then we can wrap up on gaming engines. Do you have a view or are you just not into that at all? Um, no, I mean, there are, there are fantastic new games like um, Townscaper, which I, I think it was, it was a wonderful model for designing buildings. You know, that this, this is how easy it should be and this is how beautiful they should look. Mm. Um, Based uh, on Unity. I, I guess it is. Uh, um, and, um, it, it is. It is based yeah, on sure. Unity. Oscar yeah. was on the previous podcast, and and he and he told us that it's based on Unity. We yeah. talked about gaming engines specifically, but um, do you have a view on gaming engines themselves? I don't mean yeah. games. I mean actually the gaming no, engine I, software I, tools. No, because I haven't used any of them. Uh, the last gas game I designed was a Doomwad. Okay, so, so that's so you're, you're, more than twenty your, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> what's your take on gaming engines, uh, Yorick? As 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 re- as relates to AUC uh, tool space. Uh, well, to be honest, what they do at the moment, I'm not really impressed. Uh, like basically, you take your Beam application and you export stuff to Visualization Engine. Yeah, we do that since exactly. since ever, um, and um, it. It's just a matter of exporting to some file format that others support, and that would basically be done. Um, but in, uh, as Bruno and Dion say, uh, what would be interesting uh, would be the contrary, uh, like to have these uh, game environment to, I mean, if there would be a good environment for people to build stuff uh, and to import that in your BIM application and go, uh, go on it. Imagine like uh, people, some people want to build their home uh, instead of asking the architects to do something for them, would basically yeah. just play in such a thing to, to build, to, to sketch their own, yeah. own house. And there is yeah. a free software called Sweet Home 3D, which is yeah. an amazing piece of software which does just like that. And um, that would be something really interesting. And that's what they yeah. would do would become could become beam content. Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, so, so we so I mean, we we actually discussed the gaming engines quite quite a lot and gaming in general on the previous uh, one of the previous podcasts we had the Unreal Engine. David Weir McCall was on the was on the was on the podcast uh, and Oscar Strawberry was on the podcast. We talked about some of these dimensions and what we, we I, I myself as at base two and, and one or two others are speaking to Unreal Engine about how they can be more involved in this conversation. And one of the sort of landing points or touchstones of the conversation is how can we facilitate at the very least assets store right they already have a you know a a, a visualization environment that can be deployed in various ways and even if they are resistant to creating new tools i think that's part of your point yorick is they're not actually creating many bim oriented tools even if they don't do much more of that they can still be uh, a place to to explore and experiment with outputs and so you can imagine an asset store that has all sorts of copyleft or you know open source um, assets that are deployed in a gaming environment for all sorts of purposes, actually, for a, to, you know, to, 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 to furnish a, 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 an environment for games or for design or whatever. That's one use or for all sorts of purposes for testing and development. And the, the, the irony there maybe is, though, that um, if one was to go down that route, and I actually think that, that will happen sooner or later. It seems to me pretty likely if it hasn't happened already that there'll be a kind of export from Blender to uh, whatever you know asset and virtual testing environment that um, uh, you know Unreal or whoever 
um, ends up developing. They're sort of on their way there. Uh, the irony there will be that these companies are some of the most commercially aggressive companies in history. They're literally money machines. Um, and so it would be a fascinating cultural uh, mashup. I think what it comes back to, though, which is very interesting, because I, I sense this is part of your broader point, uh, Dion, is that actually the focus of the product of what you're building should be uppermost in mind and the tools should be gathered um, towards that. I mean, my, my general view actually of, of, of how a lot of these things land is one of the reasons why gaming engines is very interesting is that the actual software itself, whether or not it's open source, ends up being free for various reasons, right? Because the technology itself can modify. It costs uh, Unreal zero dollars, zero cents to send out an instance of its software. So why not send it out free? It does send it out for free. Uh, and then the question is, how do you make money on top of that? And so I think it was uh, kind of which one of it was one of you that mentioned Red Hat, for example. Red Hat was one of the first companies to put a, uh, a, a services layer on top of free Linux distributions. They had their own Linux distribution, which essentially was free, but they put features in it and added services on top that you paid for. And I think one thing will happen in the open source software space is that actually it will converge with commercial software on free to distribute and a variety of you know pay layers on top. And you actually mentioned that yourself, Dion, when you talked about you know open core and closed, and I don't know if you use Surface, but the closed plugins, right, which you pay for, that's almost where the uh, Unreal Engine is at right now. It's not quite the same, but that's one of the points of convergence. We'll come, we'll come back to that as a, as a very final point, but just on the issue of, of content and goals and themes, what do you think these software should be used for? Right, and what I mean by that is, what are we what are we trying to build? Right, what really disturbs me about the whole AEC BIM space disgusts me. I think is more of a correct phrase, and it's the reason why I'm doing any of this, and it's all exhausting because I don't really want to be talking about you know BIM or software at all. But it's good to get there to get to this point, which is we ought to be building a society that is systematically more sustainable, and systematically more livable, and systematically more psychologically rewarding to the extent that it's you could call it a spiritual, uh, you know, convivial society in the first instance, and ultimately a more spiritual society. Are these tools helping that, or are they not? Right, because there's one way of thinking, which is, oh, great, I can build my own private suburban McMansion using a free CAD. Well, we don't want more of those things. <laughs> so where are we headed? Are the tools facilitating a better society through a better built environment or are they not, right? And answer the question as honestly as possible. Let's start with you. Um, I know, Bruno, you're going to knock this one out of the park, so we'll end with you on this one. Let's start with you, Yorick. Uh, sorry, I didn't understand well your question the, the question is is are free software open source AEC tools helping to design a better society through a better built environment or are they not at all yes i think i hope that they are um i think you see things like the wiki house project i was talking about uh, are Good examples. Uh, that project, they didn't build it with open source software, but um, which merely, I think, because there wasn't much at that time. Um, but by the way, just so you know, good thing to, it's, fun, it's funny that you say that. Alistair Parvin, who founded Rookie House Project, is, is going to do the podcast soon. So we're on the same page. Uh -huh. Great. Um, 
and um, I mean th this kind of things and you see similar uh, similar projects um, <clears throat> happening a bit everywhere and um, I think yes once you begin to, to make these uh, projects that are you know based on other concepts than just uh, building some expensive thing uh, that's on the contrary try to, to be rational to use less resources uh, to reuse uh, things and, and resources and methods and knowledge etc uh, that's uh, it's the same word as what we're doing with free software uh, it's the same thing um, so yeah i think i hope all this contributes to 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 make things uh more shared and i think that's really what what we need today uh to, to share things more okay dion so are, are is it systematically generating a better world or is it a nice tool to generate the same world absolutely free software promotes and very fundamentally intrinsically changes the way that we approach things to create a better world it's Prove it! Come on, you've got to, I'm going to work you hard. This is your last big question. Uh, well, That's I, all very... I've given you guys a total free reign. I haven't challenged you on anything. On this one, I'm going to be a little bit of a stickler. Tell me how. Because I'm not 100%... I get it, but I'm not 100% convinced yet. Right. So uh, one example is if we all share the, uh, the waterproofing details, <laughs> naturally, we get to not uh, waste less time on the waterproofing because it, it just works and then spend more time prioritizing the design. Um, so the, there's two aspects of it. The first is utilitarian and the fact that by sharing resources and by uh, collaborating with others, we can make better informed decisions because creating a strategy for the built environment is incredibly complex and no single person has the right answer. And what free software does is it encourages speaking to a greater community and that exposes you to more things. Does a more exposed person make better decisions? Hmm, I don't know. I, I, I think it does. I think they do. Uh, does somebody who is exposed to more disciplines, who talks to more people, who collaborates with more people, make better decisions for a built environment? I also think they do. And that is the fundamental reason why. It's because open source and, and free software encourages this community uh, uh, thinking. And that's something we've touched upon so many times here. Just because the, the license is free, it's, it's not the main aspect. It's the community that, that brings people there. We take a look at other examples. What was, it, what was the second thing you wanted to say? So you said there were two things. The first one was that, and there was another thing you were going to say, just to kind of summarize. Yeah, so the, the utilitarian aspect was the first. The second, which, was, which I was alluding to, was the, the social aspect. Wait, wait, so the utilitarian aspect is this, is this kind of repository of good designs that everyone can just use, right? Like Correct. We don't reinvent the wheel. So therefore, the, the things okay. that people say, yes, are yeah, good for okay. the world. And so, and yeah, you can just... so you're talking, now you're talking about the social aspects. Correct, um, correct. Yeah. So does it make the world better? Yes, in terms of utilitarian, because we stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, we, we, we pick the best from our, our history. We're not reinventing all the time. Uh, that that's a given and and humans tend to do that you know like if they have two solutions and both are free and one's better than the other they pick the better one you know they, they go oh, i want the leaky building <laughs> it's, it's it's not what people tend to do 
maybe, maybe I'm too optimistic. Maybe I live in a bubble. Maybe there are people out there who are like, oh man, I, I really, I really like leaky buildings. But there's the second aspect. No, I, I, <laughs> yes, yeah. sorry, you were saying. Well, no, I mean, so I think you've touched on. I mean, I think these things are truly massive, right? So if I just summarize back to you, and then you, you know, you just check to see if I'm on the right, you know, page with you here. The first point is that there is a uh, that that quality rises faster and, dis- and diffuses faster in an open source environment and people want quality. And I actually think that is one reason why open source is so effective is because actually what turns out to be the case is that um, historically, uh, if you have a good thing, you keep it to yourself and you make money out of it through the internet, good things diffuse um, and you've got to build a separate business model, right? Just keeping hold of it isn't the best way of building a business model. The good things want to get out there and be shared because replicating them in many cases is just cost-free. Um, and so it's not, you know, it's not advantageous for you to keep on top of it. And I think that that piece of, of nat- not just it being a fact that quality rises, but not quality naturally wants to escape, as it were, is, is profound, but even more profound. And, you, and, I, and actually, you have, you've started to convince me of this is what I would call the deliberative or dialectic dynamic uh, in terms of pressure or inputs to the designer is massively expanded in an open source environment. And I don't think there's much conversation around that, which is not just, oh, there's people out there helping me. There's also people out there criticizing me, right? And that is profound. There's this two-way street. And that's not the case. That's absolutely not the case in a commercial environment. You have people sitting there doing designs. And the only people they're speaking to other than each other are their clients. And their clients don't know anything. I would say that is the main reason why design has gone wrong is that billionaires do not know anything. City planners don't know anything or city commissioning bodies don't know anything. And that's why design is awful um, because it isn't discursive or deliberative. It's people with money saying what they think is correct and pretending that it represents a style or a trend or the public will. And it doesn't in any of those cases. And I think that that deliberative dimension is staggeringly powerful. I find that super fascinating. Absolutely. But have I I, I misread your point, though? No, absolutely correct. There there is one thing I'd I'd like to to mention is that a good way of looking at it is another way of looking at open source and and the culture is how transparent you are in your processes. Right. Interesting. I mean, we already have this in AEC. You you talk about um, community-based design, you know, where you where you design your building in the open, where everybody can see it. There's a great company out there, Opening Design, who does all their projects public. I mean, do you think that we'll get better buildings if all our design processes were transparent? Anybody can look at and go, hold on, what's going on there? That's a very big deal. I mean, I, I actually think that that is a whole separate conversation, which is the opening up of design culture. Which we right? do. And, and, we and do. It's, it's legal. It's a legal requirement that if you submit a design proposal, you expose it to the public, right? You expose it to the public so that the public can have a say in your proposal during your application and, and, and create... Uh, yes. Well, so, we, I mean, that's, that's, that's liberal, the opening up of design outputs. I mean, design process itself, Correct. like step by step. If, if every iteration of your model was visible... For you know, because you want to do all through you know through for for legal reasons, it would be absolutely fascinating. But but let's just let's just get onto this one with Bruno because we're just going to finish shortly. Bruno, what's your view on um, on uh, the the social impact of design facilitated by open source tools? Is it the tools themselves that help design get better, or is it something separate? Um, 
Uh, I mean, the way I see it is that the, the, the built environment that we've got, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty awful. You know, it's, it's not just ugly and miserable, but, um, but it's a planetary catastrophe, the way we build buildings, yeah, the, the, in terms of resource use. And to change that situation, we need to change our tools. And, and so uh, th- this is our opportunity. Here, here are the tools that we can make, that we can create, that, will, that can change the world in a better way. Um, so, so for, for my for my example, I can take a piece of technology which is from the seventies, pattern languages that's been that's been put to one side, that's never been taken up in a commercial sense, and I and I can say, well, let's let's mix this technology with this other technology, and I can do that. I'm you know I'm just a guy in in, in a back bedroom here, and and I can achieve, and, and and achieve it, and hopefully people will come along and join me, and we'll, we'll create some tools that can make a better world. What do you feel about this deliberative aspect? You know, because you're very open with your work on um, on Twitter, for example. Do you feel that um, that that aspect of the that aspect of it, as it were, the sort of opening up of the process, which is you know isn't the same as the openness of the technical development of the tools, but it seems to be in parallel with it and kind of culturally uh, enabled and empowered by it. Do you think that the open your openness of process adds to your being more, as it were, quality? And, and and benefits social benefit oriented. Yeah, I mean, people are terrified of um of, of working in the open, but um, but actually, what happens is that nobody pays any attention, so it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, so so I've, I've I've written this tool, homemaker that that, that evolves buildings, and and it's successful, yeah. and and to the best of my knowledge, that not a single person has downloaded it and run it. Yeah. So um so. Yeah. It's a lot to do with marketing. If you put a billion dollars in your pocket, uh, it's, 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 it's also a problem that it's a command line tool and you have to edit a configuration file and then you run it and you leave it for three days and then it comes up with a building. So, so it, it, that it, may have something to do with it. That may have it's something to do with it. So, we want to build um, interactive tools that, that, that use some of the same processes that. Um, that, that use that. Um, so if the computer can design a building, the computer can help you design a building. And that, that's where I want okay. to go. I think we I think we covered a lot of good things here. Where I think we've got to in terms of setting up broader conversation is the extent to which uh, open source AEC tools have a kind of cultural epiphenomenal implication, which is that people collaborating on these tools end up working on different ends in terms of, you know, uh, uh, commercial, uh, in terms of design, uh, in visions, and in terms of um, social impact potential, and that I find super fascinating—the kind of deliberative layer that arises. Um, where I think that that would be one piece of an extent, extended conversation. Another piece, I think, will be the the the, the, the evolution of business models where I have this sense that commercial models and open source models will gradually converge on free software and then monetization layers um, on top. And so there's a kind of evolved version of who's paying for what and who controls what. Um, thank you for all of that so far. Let's just finish on this. It, it, you know, If you had a magic wand and you could make the next 10 years of architecture, urban design and development, um, the social and environmental implications of built design, and the tool space, the architecture BIM tool space, and you could do all, you could drive all that in the way that you would like. And so it's way more powerful than a billion dollars in your pocket. It's a true magic wand. What would you like to see? And and so I'll start with you, uh, Bruno. 
Um, I'd like to see um, FreeCAD and, and LenderBIM um, stand up as, as, as platforms that are usable, and then we can build stuff with them. Uh, be more be more contentious and explicit. What would you like to happen to Autodesk? <laughs> no, no, I, I have no problem with Autodesk. They're lovely people. <laughs> but you'd like no. to see FreeCAD and BlenderBIM just like be full, 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 or fully fledged alternatives? Yeah, uh, but, uh, but I actually like them to be more than that because um, the, right. the, these tools are, are, are optimized for for designing particular kinds of buildings that, that maybe we don't need. That is interesting. Okay, Yorick, what what would you do with the magic wand in ten years? Um, I have no idea. Um, because what's really fun is is doing it. You, you know, um, all these things of um, creating your own BIM tools. Uh, the the annoying and also uh, fascinating thing is that you have no blueprints. Uh, you look on the internet and you have no um, method. How do you build a wall? How, how do you make it uh, so that when you insert a window in a wall, um, all the layers of the wall get cut uh, with the opening of the window? Uh, what if this opening is not just a rectangle, uh, etc.? You have no methods anywhere. You have to invent all that yourself. Um, so, and for me, it's it's much a matter of trial and error, and I, I guess for most people who work on these things uh, as well, uh, and that, that's a fascinating journey. And you learn a lot, uh, you share a lot, discover a lot, uh, you talk about what you found with others, and I have, I think, I would do it that way, and others come and say, no, this is not a good way. The, the, there is a better way and, and and so and that's the fun part of working on such a project uh, plus the fact that there is no boss no deadline no nothing you just do it as as you can as you want when you feel like it uh, and um so i'm not sure i would use that that wand if you uh, kind of like the, the journey of doing it so you're enjoying the unfolding of it step by step. I understand that. So Dion, um, do you, would are you interested in the magic wand? Do you want to throw it back at me? Are you there, Dion? You look like you're you're muted. I think he just wrote here on chat. Sorry, be right back. I'll be back in two minutes. No worries. Uh, we can edit this bit out. Thanks so much, guys, for staying on longer. There's so much to cover here, and um, it's uh, it's super interesting. What are the best? I mean, so Open Arch uh, OS Arch uh, Forum, right? Is that the ba the main um, discussion environment for open source um, BIM and CAD? Oh, I think yes. Yeah, though I should add that the the FreeCAD forums are, are, are actually quite a bit busier than, than the uh, OS Arch forums. Okay, very interesting. Uh, so, okay, I want to say, Dion, stay when you are back, otherwise I won't know. The nice thing about uh, OS Arch is it's multi-software. Uh, so you have there people talking about uh, Blender being in FreeCAD, of course, but also people coming from other softwares and uh, um, the ladybug people appear there uh, 
and many others um, and lots of people like, like Bruno who have their own project going and all this is like uh, creating fascinating interactions um, and um, very interesting yeah that's really really lots of th things are happening there okay good I'll actually be able to I'll, I'll edit this bit and put it somewhere else in the podcast but it's such good to talk about that um, but, uh, Dion, um, maybe you can share just briefly on. I'll, I'll go back to the final question, but then just on this on this little piece. What's your take on the OSArch forum? Is that the main discussion environment for open source CAD or BIM software, or are there other spaces? Uh, definitely, there are other spaces. Um, there, are, in fact, there are so many other spaces. That was the issue. The issue is that there are so many pockets of brilliance happening in the FreeCAD community, in the Blender community, in the Building Smart community, in, uh, in, in LibreCAD forums and chat rooms, and it's all spread about. And OSArch came when an architect from HOK, uh, Dimitar, sent a, a group email saying, hey guys, you're all doing cool things. How about we, you know, talk together. <laughs> and so we said, all right, well, let's start talking together. And OSH is the first community that I'm aware of uh, that does two things. The first is that it really brings people who are from that open source culture uh, into the AC space, like people who come who, who, who run Linux on their desktop and, and have been involved in open source projects for a very, very long time. And the second thing is it brings people across many tools and across many disciplines. I don't know any other communities that quite does those two things simultaneously. And I think because of those two features, it, it's definitely a place to come to and check out. Okay, so thank you on that. Just to go back to the previous uh, question, um, that, which is the last question. Uh, if you had a magic wand and you could do anything you needed uh, to expand the uptake, influence, social relevance of open source architecture and doing tools, what would you do over the next 10 years? I do not have, by the way, such a magic wand, but again, it's a hypothetical. And, and, and a billion dollars? <laughs> no, no. Well, so there's a magic wand. You can invent as many billions as you like. Oh, great. You're talking well, like real, full-on magic wand. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Honestly, day to day, there are some obvious technical shortcomings, which I would love to be solved. You know, I'd wave my magic wand and, and feature XYZ will get built. That's, and, and, but that's the thing. Like, these are all just distractions. Like, I have to build these features in Blender BIM in, in the add-on because, well, it doesn't exist and it needs to be built. So I just get all those out of the way so that we can focus on making better buildings. But then comes the question of how do we make better built environments? And that's the thing where I wouldn't do anything at all. Because I don't know. And I think it's very dangerous for anybody to say, you know, this is how the built environment should be. In fact, the best thing somebody could do is um, is talk to other people and, and better inform themselves and then make a decision of how the built environment could be and then critique themselves and then do a better job the next time. And so I wouldn't know what that better built environment is because I'm just one guy. But what I would do is I would listen astutely out to the 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 environments and things that would make it more conducive to make this collaboration happen. So if that's building a tool, fine. If that's making a, a, a chat environment, fine. If that's building a content library and an easy way to distribute things, fine. I, I build that, build that, build that with my magic wand. 
but fundamentally it's something that maybe we shouldn't rush because that's something we've been very good at doing in the past, which is not very good for the world. We're very good at rushing and we don't need more buildings faster. We need to think a little bit more before we make our next building. And whatever I can do, which I don't have, but that's what it is, is just to wait and, and discover the best way to collect people's ideas and, and prioritize them. Brilliant. I mean, just to add a few couple of comments and then to then to finish it up. I mean, I, I um my my where, where I think the conversation can naturally go is uh, I don't want to say open source because that's pretentious, but the opening up of design process. I, I myself have some concerns about the principle of of participatory design on the basis that if you just ask people what they want, as Henry Ford, as Henry Ford said, they'll, they'll they'll give you a version of what they know. Um, and there is a role for spatial and creative expertise. Having said that, accountability and engagement is very important, particularly with all sorts of peers. And so there is a role for radically opening up design process. And I think that what, you de- what you're describing about in various ways and levels around open source BIM and AC software is, I think, taking us down that road. I think the business model dynamic is going to be very interesting, you know, free layers with monetization layers, et cetera, et cetera. Those are conversations which I'd love to continue with with all of you guys and, and invite other people to join different parts of that. But just a couple of comments that may be interesting. One thing that is very obvious to me about this conversation versus some of the conversation we had last uh, uh, last time with uh, Oscar and David from uh, Oscar Strawberry and David from Unreal Engine, and certainly other conversations I'm having uh, in with and around uh, gaming engine companies is that their ambitions are hyper macho and growth oriented and control oriented and dominate the world and there's billions of dollars being thrown at it and and all you guys are fully organic and let's let it unfold and everyone should participate and it's incredibly opposite what's super fascinating is that i think um previously uh society might have said well that all sounds a bit naive you know the billionaires are going to win i think now we're all learning the opposite which is um, organically unfolding software and software communities and software tools probably will win. And that is so fascinating to me, right? Um, I think the fact that Unreal Engine is free at the point of use for every initial user is because of open source software. The fact that you're forced to monetize differently is because of open source software. And so this potential conversion is caused by open source more than anything else. Um, so that's fascinating watching a clash of cultures, but a sense that you know the open source movement is going to continue to be immensely influential. Um, and uh, where I would say I, I have a concern is I would like there to be more, I don't want to say ideologues, but I'd like there to be more kind of vision-driven intent my, one of my concerns about open source uh, software which with any the same for any any design software um but i, I you know I, arguably even more so with open source software in some ways is that if you don't believe there are constraints everything is free the software is free the assets are free you don't think in terms of limits in the real world that's one you know come back on the principle as you, you know you call it the utilitarian aspect of having you know quality assets that don't leak if you design them for real use the other side of it is you don't have a sense of constraint i have a concern about parametrics and design schools because it makes people design crazy buildings but anyway i think that you know the the you know where bruno's going with you know intending to design um intending to create manageable livable sustainable habitations is something that i would love to to see more of explicitly in the open source uh, aec space but 
and and I and I and I take your point that that is one thing that can and should come out of a de the deliberative character of the communities, and we'll see, I guess, more of as as the software community grows, as the user community grows, um, as the impact on the broader AC tool space and and design and actual designs. Uh, continues, which is all coming. So thank you so much for joining in. It's been a fantastic conversation and all of these strands are going to continue. Thanks, guys. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh...